Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. I'm Batman. This looks like a job for Superman. And Chris Honeywell. Hello and welcome back to Comics Monthly Monday number 19. Um, we're the two true freaks. I'm Chris Honeywell. And I'm pissed right off. Surprise, surprise. What, what, um, so, Mr. Pissed Right Off, what has got your goat this time? As if I didn't oh know. Oh my god. You know. Just a couple of nights ago, I was talking to a good friend of ours and saying how I'm going to try to turn over uh-huh. a new leaf. And I'm not going to let things work me up anymore, and I don't want to be known. I don't want to go down in the annals of podcasting history as being that guy, you know, the, the pissed-off guy, the ranting and raving guy. You know, And I've also lamented to you a few times that the whole – you know, the whole shtick is kind of worn thin with me that, you know, we we have some great friends in the community, but a lot of them... A lot of our whole culture is people uh, ranting and raving anyway. Yeah. Well, no, it's not just that, but I mean, you know, a lot of the great friends we have, sometimes I get the feeling that they're my friends because they just like to wind me up, you know, like like a little tin toy and just watch me go, you <laughs> know what like I mean? Dance like a dancing monkey. Exactly. Dance, monkey, dance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, I love those guys, but honestly, honestly, I'm not kidding around. That that does get old. It really does get old, you know, because that's not really, you know, I want to well, be taken you know, seriously. Also, you're, you're not journal talking about funny books, <laughs> well, you know? Yeah, but who wants to and, hear that? The, the, the thing about, yeah. the thing with you is... <laughs> Thanks. The, the thing with the, the thing that I think that people don't understand about you is when you get wound up, you, you know, okay, you got your people, you know, say, you know, your average, you know, you turn on your radio and the guy is ranting about the government, you know, and that guy is fuming and he's pissed. But, you know, when it goes to a commercial, he probably like gets his coffee and like, hi, Mabel, and, you know, goes back, bah, 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 back. That's not like that with you. When you get wound right. up, you get wound up. <laughs> and you're, well, you're... see, at the same, at the same, for for the same reasons that I would not want to wind up 
in, you know, receiving a Darwin Award, you know, for like being buried under like an avalanche of elephant shit or something like that. I also don't want to go out podcasting due to like a massive coronary or a fucking yeah. brain embolism or something like that. So that's a concern as well. But <laughs> tonight, I cannot guarantee that that may not happen only because I just viewed the Jonah Hex trailer. And I'm telling you, dude, I'm so pissed off right now. I can't even properly express myself, you know, in words. I, I mean, I just want to go out and smash something. I'm so pissed because, you know, this this is, should be such a no-brainer project, you know? It doesn't require Hollywood fiddle fuckery. It just doesn't, you know? He's a badass bounty hunter. He's basically Boba Fett in the Old West. That's it. You know, why do you need to, to screw with that formula? He's already cool as hell. And if they need some sort of model beyond the comic books, which I really get the feeling that these Hollywood types, they they get the rights to these projects. And I get the feeling they don't even crack Look, open can, a comic. They don't even turn a, a cover over to see now, what's now inside. Now, when you went to the link to watch they, this, did you notice what in the description of it, it said... Uh, Based on, you know, the famous graphic novel. Well, they and, always and do Instead that. of, you know, long-time comic series or something, it's the, the graphic novel sort of making it seem like The Watchmen or something, like there was a, a Jonah Hex right. graphic novel that came out, you know, as a sort of one singular thing. And I and I thought that was a bad so, sign. I was just like, oh, geez, you know, they're, they're distancing right. themselves. They from all that. do yeah, that, I know, though. But it... I hope somebody much more knowledgeable on this subject will write in and let me know this fact. I, I would love to know, what is the last comic book movie that said, based on the comic book? Because I'm telling you, I, normally I, I want to swap people that yell out loud at in the movie theater. But every time I'm at the movies and I see a trailer or I'm at a comic book movie and the words come up based on the graphic novel, I'm the dickhead that you hear holler out, it's a fucking comic book, because it really pisses me off, because they're trying to be all highfalutin and snooty like the Vertigo people, you know, and they, they want to distance themselves from the word comic book because it sounds infantile or something, and it just pisses me off, because, you know, for one thing, who are you fucking kidding, you know? Joe Average on the street, if he even knows what a comic book, or excuse me, what a graphic novel is, then he knows it's a comic book. And if he doesn't, then he doesn't. You know, you're, so you're not you're really... going after the people who read an article in Time magazine about the Watchmen, and they go, oh yeah, graphic novels, right, right. But even those people, I mean, I honestly, you know, are they fooled? I mean, all they got to do is, you know, if, if they see the Watchmen trade paperback in Barnes & Noble... And it says, you know, it's in the graphic novel section. All they have to do is open the cover, and I guarantee you, nine out of ten of them are going to go, "Oh, comic book," because it—it's a fucking comic well, book. You know, I mean, it's marketing. It's marketing just... is just they can't resist playing with the words as much and trying to tweak everything to some maximum, you know, marketability. That's what they do. They. Right. they they have to justify their jobs, so it's it's you know so they overthink everything, and 
how, how they present so, it. I, I agree with you. So based on one viewing, because that's all I gave this thing was one look and walked away just fuming. But based on one look, the things I took away from it, right off the bat, I mean, in the opening seconds of the thing, I was already pissed off because right off the bat, he's got the Lone Ranger's origin or, or, or some sort of right. version of it because it shows him being dragged out of his house and his family are murdered and the, and the farms burned down or whatever. And I'm thinking, this is not Jonah Hex. So they've, they've fucked that all up. They've got Quentin Turnbull giving him his, you know, the trademark scar and everything, which that's all screwed up. I mean... If you're even going to tell that story, you know, the, the origin story, which honestly, for the first Jonah Hex movie, I don't know that. Do you even need that, really? I, I guess people would wonder where the where the scar came from. But Jonah Hex, the character, actually was around quite a long time in the comics before the scar was ever explained. Well, I was going to say, you don't need to know any... where that scar comes from. It's, it's yeah, interesting. It makes you wonder where it comes from. Right. He works much better, I think, as a man um, with no name especially exactly yeah that's exactly the analogy i was going to use is you know in the earliest uh comics that jonah was in he was very much clint eastwood's man with no name he sailed into town he spoke very little he did whatever he had to do and rode off at the end of every issue and that should be the movie that we're getting it uh, you know it if they wanted to do you know the 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 story of Jonah Hex as far as like an origin and all that especially if they were going to do the Quentin Turnbull story all you've got to do is look at the outlaw Josie Wales it's the same goddamn movie I, it's it's literally the the stories are so similar now it's been a long time since I've seen the outlaw Josie Wales but the last time I saw it I was just flabbergasted by all the parallels to Jonah Hex I mean you got the scar parallel you've got the whole uh, Civil War right. aspect, the, the whole thing with isn't there a part in, in Josie Wales with like escaping from a, like a Confederate fort or a or a man it's been or so a long Yankee since fort I've seen or it, some yeah. shit and a bunch of people get mowed down. I mean that's the whole Quentin Turnbull story because Jonah and Quentin Turnbull's son, whose name I can't remember, they were best friends right up until they went into the the Confederate army during the Civil War. And something happened. I think Jonas surrendered because he got to when when Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, Jonah Hex realized that the Civil War had taken a turn and it had become about a higher cause in, in his mind. And he could not, in good conscience, continue to fight for the Southern system when he realized that the North were trying to do something that he thought was noble, you know, freeing the slaves. And so he went to a, uh, a Union fort and surrendered. And they tried to extract information out of him on where he had come from. And he refused to give up his people. He said he was surrendering, but he was not a traitor. But something on his person or something, they end up able to backtrack where he had come from. And this is... This is mm -hmm. from my memory, so don't hold me real firm to these facts. But if I remember properly, they were able to track down where he had come from, and they slaughtered everybody. And whoever was left, or somehow or other, it came out, and 
um, the, the Confederates that were left believed that Jonah Hex had sold them out. And because Quentin Turnbull's son was among the people that were killed, Quentin Turnbull now believes Jonah Hex to be a traitor to the Confederacy. And that's why he has sought him through pretty much the whole history of, of the Jonah Hex character. He's one of Hex's two main... I mean, if you want to say he has villains or arch enemies, then that's what, what he is, basically. He's basically an arch enemy, but that's why is that for one, he looks at Hex as a traitor to the Confederacy, but also there's the bigger thing in there if he wants to avenge the death of his son. And, I mean, goddamn, is that not a cool enough story for somebody? I mean, you gotta, you gotta go and mess it up with all this weird, like, you know, Eric Peterson, our good friend Eric Peterson, uh, Green Cap on the forum, I saw, he tweeted the other day something about, he saw this trailer way ahead of, of when I saw it. He saw, I, I mean, I, I want to say this was almost a week ago. He tweeted something about, uh, well, I saw the Jonah Hex trailer today that looks like Van Helsing 2 or something to that effect. And I never saw Van Helsing, but I saw a hell of a lot of trailers and footage from it and stuff. And I think what he was going for was the whole aspect of Van Helsing had all those like weird, almost like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen style weapons and stuff. They were all like slightly futuristic and they were almost like Batman weaponry, you know? And... Uh, and there was the scene in the trailer for Hex where he went to some weaponsmith right. and was getting all these sli slightly like futuristic looking weapons and like crossbows. And then there was a scene that I thought was just completely idiotic where he had like double miniguns strapped to his fucking horse and was mowing people. And I'm just like, this is not Jonah Hex. You know, it's just not. You know, he, he has his trademark... Oh, what the hell is it? Now I'm going to draw a blank what his weapons are. But he has a, a trademark set of, you know, matched, they're matched pistols of some kind, but I, I, I've drawn a blank on what exactly they are. But that's like his trademark is is his, you know, the, these guns that he has. And that's, and occasionally he might use like a rifle or something like that, you know, for like a, like a long range shot or, you know, if he's really pissed and really wants to blow somebody away. He would away. just but, use you know, the he, weapons he's not, of the time. It's not the wild, wild right. west. Yeah, well, it's not the Wild Wild West, and it, it's not uh, uh, Christian Bale going to see Morgan Freeman to get all sorts of fancy advanced weaponry, and, which is... Yeah. yeah, and that's what it reminded me of. It, it looked a little bit Van Helsing. It looked... I didn't think about the Q thing, but you're, that's a good point. But it also it reminded me very heavily of, of the, the Batman and Morgan Freeman sequences in those Batman movies where he would go to him for the latest, greatest advanced weaponry. And I'm just like, this, that's just not, that has no place in this particular story. It just doesn't. The, the only thing that, while it bugged me, at least I could kind of see maybe what they were going for was I don't, I really don't like the supernatural aspect. Because I would best describe this trailer, to me personally, it looked like Ghost Rider meets Van Helsing. The, the supernatural thing kind of bugs me, but I think I get what they're going for is that, you know, originally when, when Hex came along, I'm not sure how long they stuck with it, but in the earliest, earliest issues, you know, when he first came along. Yeah, it was almost like anthology, in, uh, supernatural horror yeah. sort of stories, yeah. western ghost story sort of things. Yeah, exactly, because it was in Weird Western Tales 
And in the beginning, it was done that style. It was done like a weird story, you know, so it would have some weird, you know, pseudo supernatural ending a lot of times. And and Hex was almost done in the very beginning as if he might be um, some supernatural thing. Like maybe maybe he wasn't entirely right. human or maybe he some was uh, a little spirit. bit spectral. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But they pretty to my recollection, they pretty quickly got away from that. You know, so, you know, at least at the very least or at the very latest, rather, by the time Jonah Hex number one premiered, you know, where he actually got his own title, that had been entirely forgotten. He was a man. You know, he was just a man. He was a badass, but he was just a man. And I honestly can't remember the last Jonah Hex story I've read that had any truly supernatural elements as far as Hex himself was concerned. He, you know, every once in a while he might go up against something that might seem a little bit supernaturally, maybe. But he himself has been ultimately revealed to be pretty much just a guy, you know? So I don't I don't know that I like that. You know, I, I well, I know that I don't like that actually, because they're making it almost like you said, like the avenging spirit type of thing or whatever. And it's like, no, you you don't well, he was need bringing that. someone back from what? the dead. It looked like yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He reached into that guy in the gallows, and yeah, you're right. It looked like he had uh, the the touch of Jacob from Lost or something, where he brought the guy. But yeah, you're right. I hadn't even see. Like I said, I only watched it one time, and it pissed me <laughs> off so bad. I was like, I had to, I had to go vent. But I'm just, you know, I'm so ultimately, I'm pissed because I'm so disappointed and. I had a feeling something was going on because, you know, I posted something on the forum a while back about, you know, is this, is the fact that there's no Jonah Hex trailer this close to the movie coming out? Is that a really bad sign? And apparently I, I was right yeah. because it was a bad sign. But what really surprises me more than anything is Jimmy Palmiotti, you know, the, the writer on, on the, the current version of Jonah Hex. You know, he. I know from having, you know, you and I met him and talked to him, I know that he loves that character. I know that he has a, a really deep and abiding love for that character, just like I do. And I know that he's he's really dedicated to, to being faithful to that character. Now, I've been following him on um, Twitter for the longest time, and he pretty regularly posts things about not only the book, but lately he's been posting a lot of stuff about the movie. Everything I'm seeing him posting about the movie is glowing. And Jimmy Palmiotti doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that would tow the company well, line. Maybe if, you it, know? It, maybe if he thinks it has something to do with keeping his place on the book or keeping the book being yeah. printed in the first place. Maybe, yeah. you know, I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to say the guy's a sellout or anything like that. I mean, in, in these tough economic times, you got to do what you got to do. You know, so if he feels like his ass is on the line, if he if he says, oh, this movie's going to suck, then I can understand that. You know, that would be a tough call and all that. But ultimately, well, you, know, yeah, can... you know, I'm sure he's got mouths to feed, so I can understand it's that. It's been a but troubled production on that what... movie, and probably nobody wants yeah. anybody coming out going, hey, this is a sucky movie right before they release it, you know? <laughs> right. 
And I'm hoping maybe it's, it'll be one of those things where, I mean, if he loves it, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, taking anything away from that. If he honestly thinks it's great and it's awesome and all that, then hey, more power to him. But if it's a case where where he's having to say this for, or, you know, for whatever, or it reason, could honestly I be after awesome. The- and we just saw a very horribly cut preview. I know. I want to hold on to that hope. I really don't hold do, on to it too tightly, though. I wouldn't. I'm not. I'm not because honestly, I don't think, for me personally, and I'm trying not to be so much the like, the minutia guy. But in this particular case, I don't think that the changes that they've made to like his origin and his basic character. I don't look at that as minutia. I look at that as those are vital parts of who this fucking character yeah, but is. You know, you know how that happens. So, and, and, and But there could be some fluke of awesome script writing where you go, you know, okay, this isn't my Jonah Hex of the comics, but this is an awesome movie in and amongst itself, you know. I'm that, hoping so. I'm yeah. hoping so. Because Good if that's with not that. the case, if it... Yeah, if it does turn out that not only is it not exactly the Jonah Hex I want to see, but it's like an abysmal movie or it's just it's just not good. My biggest fear is that not only won't the movie do good, which ultimately if it sucks, then I hope it doesn't do good. But I don't want the failure of the movie to negatively impact the awesome, awesome book that the character has right now that that, you know, that Palmiotti's doing. That's my biggest fear because I don't know how the book is doing sales wise right now. Frankly, I'm amazed it's at the number it's at, not because of the quality of the book, but just because it is what it is. It's it's a western. And in this day and age, Comics I mean aren't selling that much in the he, first place. Yeah. Exactly. And so it's it's kind of it's kind of a fluke that it's even I mean there uh, frankly I'm amazed it ever got it got greenlit let alone that it's made it almost 60 issues now. And like, you know, like I'm saying, again, that, that's not any sort of knock against the book. The book is great, but it's just, you know, books are expensive these days. There's such a glut of other stuff out there that people are wasting their money on. And it's a Western. So, you know, my understanding, my and I could be, if I'm wrong, someone please correct me, correct me but my understanding is that the book holds on by a thread, you know what I mean? And that it has rid, ridden the cancellation line for most of the time it's been out. So I don't want to see this movie come out, tank, and then take the book with it. That would really piss me off. So What if the movie know. comes out, makes a trillion dollars, sucks, and then they make Palmiati make the book like the movie? <laughs> Yeah, there's all sorts of there's all sorts of things that could go wrong. Yeah, I honestly don't think that will happen. But yeah, that that thought actually occurred to me is that what what if we're looking at another Dark Knight situation? You know, where they they take the character, they totally fuck it up and bastardize it, and everybody else loves it. Yeah, I've I've thought about that too. And but you know, honestly, I'm almost prepared for that because that that keeps happening. It's happened with Batman. It happened with Star Trek. You know, there's a laundry list of in my opinion, bastardizations that are that are happening right now of my favorite things that everybody else tells me I'm out of my mind because I'm not on board with. So this will just be another one to fucking throw on the heap, I well, guess. My my impression of the whole thing is when I saw it, what one thing it reminded me of 
besides Van Helsing and uh, what was the other movie? League of Extraordinary, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Which I loved, by the way. Don't get I'm not knocking that movie, but, you know, I don't want to see Jonah Hex right. done that way. Right. You know what well, I, mean? I, I It reminded me of the Wolverine Origins movie <laughs> is yeah. what I thought. The lighting yeah. and the cinematography were pedestrian. They were, you know, that just... They're pedestrian. It was, it was, you know, you got a crew, you got it lit. It wasn't, mo- it was quote unquote moody in the sort of modern view of moodiness, which was, you know, dark and stuff. But there's a lot of like bright color. It just looks, it looks sort of just very normal, you know, maybe like a made for TV. Yeah, it- Production doesn't, like on the cheap. It doesn't look like a gritty. No, western, it doesn't does look it? like a dirty, gritty western. Now, jo- now the things that I thought that were that are prom- that it has promising going for it is Josh Brolin's a good actor, and uh, John Malkovich is a great actor. I mean, Josh Brolin's coming off No Country for Old Men, and Malkovich has been in he's been in any number of bad movies too. Come to think of it, but he's a good actor. So there and there's so there's potential. You know, it could be a crappy movie, but, like, Josh Brolin could be a very engaging Jonah Hex, you know. But, it, like you right. said, the whole, the whole, what really cut me off was the scene with the weapons expert. And he's, you know, here's a gun that turns into a cross, so you got anything new for me, you know. And he's, and he's having this conversation with a with a young black guy who's the weapons expert who works for the government you know he's you know they have that whole thing of like you know the government wants you to come work for us or you know we have a secret you know basically the CIA or something right. and and he doesn't want to, you know I don't work with the government and they say well we're going after this guy well then I'm on board and and then they take him to the weapons expert you know and Right. A this the it's a very the 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 weapons expert's a very modern looking young black guy, and his conversation with Jonah Hex is in sort of modern parlance, and stuff like that. Right. And all right, so you, you know you were already saying how Jonah Hex had you know a sort of uh, turn of conscience, and and all that. So he would be not you know in, in this time period. You know, talking to a black person as an equal, even if you were enlightened, was something weird, you know. There were people who probably did have conversations like that, maybe. But it's just... I'm trying to remember when he would actually deal with black people in the book. How he would... I don't remember him ever being prejudiced or, you know, specifically using like slurs or anything. I'm just but at saying the historic, rate, it's, it's, it's the, the movies portrayed Jonah Hex. Now Jonah Hex is in his Western gear. And this is right. a, a thing I noticed from, and I'll go into it when I do review the new clash of the Titans is you see these movies and everybody's got sort of the modern haircuts, you know, a lot of the characters right, look like right. they're sort of in the Marines, like in the modern Marines is sort of the way people look <laughs> nowadays in the movie, your standard character. They're all these sort of like, um, it's the, the WB network syndrome, I call it, where everybody yes. looks like a, a model, like Beautiful they look like people. they're out of the Sears catalog. And right, everybody looks like that in, in, in Jonah Hex, except Jonah Hex. And 
no, I, I want to see a realistic Western movie, you know? that I mean, that would be awesome. And, and you know, they really exaggerated the thing over his, you know, his little, his little thing that hangs over the lip. And right. I would have liked to seen that underplayed. I would have liked to seen it instead of this big thing over his lip, just sort of like connective tissue, just sort of something weird, you know? That's how I always saw it in the comics It's just... You know, like the the kids in school had the weird birthmark on their face or the weird little thing, and you'd see them and be like, "What the fuck is going on there?" You know, and the the, right, the, the same yeah. thing with him instead of this big like clunky. But I, yeah, it just it does not look promising. It looks like, and the band Mastodon is doing the soundtrack, and nothing against Mastodon, but they're a metal band. Now, hopefully they'll go Sergio. Sergio, saw, well, saw. there's a real, there's a a, a guy doing a score Marco for it too, Trump. and he but he's been working. Yeah, they had Trump. another guy who did the score with Mastodon, and then he dropped out because there was timing project problems, and he had another project, so he had to leave. And then they brought this guy in, and he took a whole new approach with Mastodon that they said was less rock and roll so hopefully it'll be more like a Sergio Leone you know spaghetti western yes, sort yeah. of soundtrack but I you know when you know when the Gatlin gun comes out a guitar is going to get sung out and go probably because the, the, I paused the thing right at the end and frame per framed it so that I could read the you know the the poster that came up at the end with all the credits on it, and because I wanted to know who was scoring the movie, and it's uh, Marco Beltrami, and that makes me really nervous too because Beltrami he's not like he's horrible or anything, but he's like extremely hit and miss. Um. To give you an idea, well, it also sounds like he was brought in at the uh, last minute too, so that doesn't help yeah. either. But see, he's not the kind of guy that would shy away from doing exactly what you're talking about. That when you know Hex rears up on the horse, they're going to go into some guitar, yeah. you know, electric guitar riff or something. Because he, I could see him doing that because you know some of the movies he's done are like uh, he did the first Resident Evil with Marilyn Manson. Um, he did uh, Live Free or Die Hard, which was a pretty good soundtrack, but um, he was trying to ape unsuccessfully, in my uh, opinion, yeah. um, the the original guy who shit, I just drew a complete blank on his name. Um, oh, I hope Mark Buttrick's not listening to this. He's probably screaming at his player if he is. But anyway, the, uh, the original guy. Oh my God, I can't believe I drew a blank on his name. Anyway, um, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, um, Knowing, which was a pretty good soundtrack. He's, he's had some, you know, he's, he's, he's done quite a few here recently, but like I say, really hit and miss and nothing yet, at least in my opinion, that has really been awesome. You know what I mean? He's had some that are like, eh, that's pretty good, but nothing that's really jumped out at me and said like, wow, now that's a great soundtrack. You know what I mean? So... I don't know. It, it it doesn't fill me with a lot of hope and confidence. No, me neither. Especially based on what I saw. No, it looks very formulaic, and it, and it looks like the wrong formula for Jonah Hex. Jonah Hex could yeah. be a formula movie, but not this this formula. It's gonna date it. It's gonna make it look cheesy. 
in 10 years. Yep. And it's going to be something that's made to be consumed in a three-week period. And maybe on DVD yeah. by completists who have to have every comic book movie. Or, you know, right. just idiots who just liked it because they like when the Gatlin guns come out and people get blowed up real good. Right. And that's a that's a damn shame because this could be the return of the Spaghetti Western. You know, the, if they had done this in one of those, you know... Clint Eastwood uh, 70 what when did those movies come out like early 70s those like man with no hey, name listen, movies there's if they did it in that style where those people movies have cost, no what, problems with bucks? westerns these days the uh, in the last you know thinking in the last few years remember 312 to yuma that was a big hit i think it was 312 yeah. something to yuma but i think it was yeah appaloosa yeah 310, 310 to, yuma. to yuma yeah and, and uh i mean that was a great movie and um you know, I don't. I don't think people shy away from westerns as far as movies go. It's one of the classic. It comes and goes as a genre, right. but I don't think people are uh, that opposed to it these days. I think people like them. Right. So, yeah, I think it's just a, a. It's a matter of a lot of times movies are put together as a property instead of as a labor of love. I just saw. I just saw. Right. Um, Kickass. Which, it was, was good. It, I didn't think it was great. I think if it focused on the little girl and, and her dad, Nicolas Cage, the movie would have been outstanding. It's a good, entertaining movie. But that movie was at least, it was very comic book. It, it, when, you know, Nicolas Cage told his origin story, he told it in comic book form. You know, it was shown in comic book form. And the the guy hmm. the guy who directed it, I guess, he really stuck to his guns, and wouldn't let it. And people were very concerned about the language and the little girl killing people and swearing and getting beat up. And he stuck to his guns and wouldn't make it unless he had could do exactly what he wanted, which I guess he did. But I just thought the the kick-ass character was kind of boring. But you know that that one. I mean, it it knows its comic book origins. It's proud of proud of them. The the director is proud of the you know the story and wanted to tell it. You know, if there was somebody like that attached to Jonah Hex, somebody who was you know a director who was like had a love for Jonah Hex, you know, I mean, whoever directed this, they probably you know he probably they sent him a bunch of comics for him to read. Who knows if he even read old Jonah Hex. He might have been just reading stuff from the last few years. Who knows? It doesn't look right. like he so, did. So, <laughs> you know, that's it's just what you got to hope for. Like, like you got sometimes you get lucky, like the Iron Man. We got Iron Man 2 coming out, so hopefully that'll be a nice little shot in the arm for comic book movies. All the previews for that look fantastic so far. So cross your fingers for that you can cross your fingers for for Jonah Hex too but good luck with that cross your fingers but don't hold your breath <laughs> I think I think more of my chips are riding on uh, Tron uh, uh, <laughs> legacy yeah. at this point well Kept I was trying to, to keep it to, uh, that, that I, knew I that was trying to right. keep it to comic book movies but you know yeah, well, I mean, to a certain degree, I almost feel like that is a comic book movie. Yeah. You know what I mean, or a, or, a, or at least a genre, you know, yeah. for our genre movie. But yeah, as far as comic book movies, 
I have to profess my ignorance. I really don't. Beyond Jonah Hex and Iron Man, I'm not sure what's in the queue for this year. I, well, that there's, a, there's another as, Mark I mean, Miller. I, I can't remember the name of it, but it's supposedly really good. It's about the... Um, they, they work for the CIA, and they're on a secret mission, and... Yeah, the losers? losers. That's another comic book movie. That's getting... Oh, I didn't know that was based yes, on the comic. It's oh, that's getting very yeah. good reviews. Yeah, I heard it was so. good. Yeah. Well, I, I remember seeing the trailers on television thinking the losers and what came to my mind right away was that uh, uh, the losers special number one, which was a crisis crossover where the losers actually die. But, you know, I mean, that's like when you're flipping channels. You know, a lot of times I'm flipping channels and I'll see uh, there's some show on, on TV. What is it? James Robeson. And every time I th- I see that, my mind changes it to James Robinson, and I'm like, oh, what's he on? And then I go, oh, wait, 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 that's not the same. So it was the same thing. I saw this trailer for The Losers, and my mind's thinking the comic book Losers, and then I thought, nah, it's it's just a coincidence nope. of name. You know, like Karate nope. Kid or Mark something. Millar's but, got wow, it's two, interesting that it's not. two movies uh, getting, one's getting mixed reviews, but good box office, and the other one, I don't know what the box office for uh, is on it, but it's getting really uniformly good reviews. Yeah, I've heard good things so, about that. Huh. You know, comic book—they're not—they're—they're—they're they're, they're faring as well as any other genre. You know, you're getting the good with the bad. You can't. You know, we were spoiled well, see, because we I lived did. in that period of the '80s where there was just this like huge explosion of awesome genre movies that were well made right. and with a lot of thought put into them, and they were main. You know, they got the mainstream money because for fi- finally the studios realized that they were profitable if even if you and if you put a lot of money into them they were super profitable because then you had marketing right. and and licensed products afterwards so you know we had that that we grew up with just like being showered with us you know epic you know movie that would go down in history after movie that would go down in history Whereas now right. we're getting the sort of pale imitations of those with the occasional great movie peppered in there. See, I think that's ultimately what what's you know if if this does not fare well, which you know, and and just going judging by the trailer strictly, I think that's going to be its downfall. Is that they are treating it like a comic book movie, almost like a superhero movie to right. a degree. And that's not what the character is. That's not the genre it's written in. It's written in, you know, a, a dark and gritty, realistic Western setting. And so, you know, sillying it up with with advanced weaponry and the supernatural thing and the hot girlfriend and, you know, it just... it, it oh, and All right. of that shit plays counter to what the character in oh, and that he the, used the to be a family is. man like a simple yeah. farming family man you know type of thing yeah i mean that would be something to that story with the with the being a family man and having the farm and all that that would be something to do in like the third movie you know or or you know somewhere down the line if you managed to successfully turn it into a, a series right. of movies because there was a pretty exciting storyline and... about mid yeah about midway through the jonah hex title the the first series you know when it when he actually got his own title he actually did he took a wife and he settled down and everything for for a time 
And that was a really interesting story of could this man who, you know, death followed him everywhere he went, could he actually hang it all up and have a normal life? And ultimately, you know, yeah, the answer a, was no, you know, he could a, not. That's another pretty standard yeah. Western theme. You know, it's like the Unforgiven. Right. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying is, yeah, you know, it should be. Look, at, look at the stuff that's out there and, and not well, imitate it necessarily, but look at with, it and go, okay, we could go well, with Josh Brolin coming right off of No Country for Old Men, best picture of the year. And I don't know if you've seen that movie, but it's an intense, he plays an intense part in it. He's very good in that movie. And, uh, um, you know, they could have totally sold this movie as you know the unforgiven <laughs> you know the comic book version right. of the un- of unforgiven a dark western with a dark message or you or it, i don't want to say that because then it makes then you start bringing up dark knight type of but you know what i mean right. that 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 that, I do know that western mean, yeah. where you're a hard ass it's dog eat dog and no matter just like The Walking Dead, no matter how much you want to fight it, you, you still it ends up it's it's kill or be killed, you know, and it's and mercy isn't gonna be his his best weapon <laughs> as far as that goes, right? And that's what drives the the stories, and it's it's the it's the road warrior thing too, of where he's a he's a lost and and cynical badass but you know he will aid the aid the you know cause of good and and maybe help people out at some time but at the in the end he's off wandering off into the sunset you know oh i want to see that part i want to see that part where he where he tells him three days ago i saw a horse that had hauled that tank yeah exactly I want to see that part. I don't think you're going to see <laughs> that part. That was my part. shit Mel, Mel Gibson Australian accent impression <laughs> right there. Well, anyway, I think we should wrap this up. Uh, you're starting to yeah. calm down a yeah, little well, bit from uh, your initial well, not really. It's, I'm, I'm, res- I'm resigned yeah. to it sucking at this point because I, I, I feel like it's almost a foregone conclusion. I almost feel this is the kind of the thing I, I, I was thinking about right before we started is that I wonder for the sake of my own mental and physical health if I ought to just fucking skip this movie. <laughs> as much as that kills me, and I've been looking forward to this for so long, I honestly see, wonder if see I should what just the do myself say. a favor. See what you can <laughs> suss out of the reviews what it's really going to be like before right. you plunk down your well, money to go see it. Because if it sucks, you're going to plunk down all that money to see it, and then you're going to walk out of there going, why did I just spend that money that I know I shouldn't have spent, right. you know? Well, the problem is, is that I don't listen to reviews. The only reviews I trust are are a few people that I actually know, like you and and a few of my yeah, other you friends. Gotta read, you got to go to like it. Rotten Tomatoes. So I don't listen to reviews and read the reviews all the time. Yeah, but that that shit doesn't work, man. I mean, look at what they said about Dark Knight. They they're calling that the greatest right, right, movie right, right, ever right. made, and it well, no, no, but the, you know, and then. You look at uh, Punisher War Zone, and everybody and their mother fucking hates that movie, and it was it one of the best matter. comic that, book that's, movies. That's not how years, you use bro. critics. What you have to do, it's <laughs> right out right now. There's like there's like a hundred listeners whose heads just exploded it, when I said that it, too. 
<laughs> listen, what you do with the critics is you go to some place like Rotten Tomatoes or, you know, you find, you know, you're going to find critics that you trust. You're going to find critics that you can say, okay, this guy looks at things like I do. But what's also helpful are that you find the people who look at things the polar opposite of you. So you know when they hate something that you're probably going to love it or you're going to see something good in it. And you can, like, by by filtering through these critics, you can get sort of an idea of where this movie's coming from and if it's good. That's what I do, you know, if it's going to be for me or not. You know, there's there's certain people, if they start gushing over something, you know that it's just going to be a piece of crap because you know they love that, you know, they love Swill. So... Right. That's 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 how I do it, you know. <laughs> well, until I get clones, I don't know anybody who who I can implicitly trust to have my exact right. But um, likes dislikes. But, but you so. know what I mean. You'll read someone's review and they'll make no, a point. I, and you'll I do. go exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking when I saw that. You know, and it's and a lot. Right. And I love reading <clears throat> reviews of movies that I've already seen. I love seeing once I've seen a movie. I love seeing what other people. And you know, and you get to learn the critics who'll spoil stuff for you or whatever. So, right. Well, you know, a lot of times these these actors, these Academy Award winners, you know, they'll they'll have they'll be in some huge movie that gets all the accolades and everything. And then you ever notice the trend seems to be that the very next project they're just kind of slumming. You know, it's like, uh, and maybe I'm remembering my Hollywood history a little bit backwards, but if I remember properly, didn't Halle Berry? win the Academy Award like right before she did Catwoman so you know I've seen that happen a lot of times where that sort of thing and and something tells me that this might be one movie to take union scale pay one movie to pay the bills yeah exactly yeah could be it could be Josh Brolin's Catwoman that's for That's what we should start calling it from now on, Catwoman. <laughs> Josh Brolin's Catwoman. Josh Brolin's Catwoman, coming soon to a theater near you. Uh, All right, but scary. before we wrap this up, I've got a new segment to introduce. It's called The Comic Bag. And uh, you remember our buddy Johnny Bueno. Johnny Bueno Bueno. travels all over the country for his job, and when he does, he goes to local comic shops throughout the nation, and sometimes even outside the nation. And he's been collecting a myriad of reviews, and uh, we're going to start out with the premiere episode today where he talks about a famous comic book store, Jay and Silent Bob's Secret Stash. Oh, awesome. That's right, it's time for The Comic Bag with Johnny Bueno. All right, we're here with a new segment called The Comic Bag with our Charles Kuralt of the comic world, Johnny Bueno, who travels all over this great country 
exploring local comic shops. And uh, we decided to uh, to throw... He sent us a whole list of all the comic shops that he's had in his travels. And we, we, we decided to pick kind of a famous one first to to get his view on that just to start with a with a bang in the in the bag so <laughs> ladies and gentlemen johnny bueno and and w- let's see we picked jay and silent bob's secret stash is that in white plains no new jersey no that's in red bank new jersey red bank i knew it was a color it had something to do with the color <laughs> white plains well there's a white plains new jersey right isn't there um i don't think so yeah well, I could be insane. Red Bank, <laughs> New Jersey, a legendary comic shop. It is. Which I've never been to, but you've been there. I have. I've actually been there twice, and I've been there while Kevin Smith was there. Ooh. Now so. he actually owns a shop, right? It's it's yeah, and it's run shop. it's run it's run by uh, his crony Walt Flanagan. Oh, really? Of Walt Flanagan's dog f- fame? Yes. If anybody's read any of the uh, clerks. <laughs> Pardon me. Were, so were those Clerks comics or were they Jay and Silent Bob comics? I think they were Clerks or they were like an Oni special edition or something. But there was a whole adventure with Walt Flanagan's dog in there and his yeah. boner boner. He actually, um, he actually has done a bunch of different comics, Walt Flanagan, and he's actually coming up to the uh, to the next Granite Con up here in uh, the great state of New Hampshire in a couple of week, couple weeks believe it or not so anyways there's actually two different stores from what I understand there's one out in Los Angeles I believe it's on the campus of UCLA I could be wrong but I think it's out there and then there's the uh, the mothership which is the one in Red Bank New Jersey and uh, it's uh, it's definitely a cool uh, tourist spot if you ever are in Red Bank Red Bank is a really really cute little town um nice main street area it's uh pretty close to being a sea town um and it's right there on the the cape of new jersey so to speak in the in the northeastern quadrant um you know kevin smith actually is from leonardo isn't he Hello? i think so i i yeah. don't know for sure i'm pretty sure that at least that's where uh that's where the, uh, the, the the quick stop is. Uh-huh. I, I went there after I went to the Jay and Silent Bob Secret Stash. But the uh, first time I went was about, geez, it had to be about six years or so ago, 2004, 2005. And uh, made the pilgrimage out to Red Bank. And uh, like I said, it's on the main, main drag there. Uh, pretty hard to miss. And... Uh, it's funny because as you first walk into the place, I walked in just as they were opening up, and uh, Walt Flanagan was there at the helm, and uh, you know, dressed in his his windbreaker hockey gear, of course. They have uh, right above the door. If you walk in the door and you look behind you, they, when I was there, anyways, they had the championship banners of when the New Jersey Devils won the Stanley Cup. <laughs> It's it's definitely a museum type of place, right? Uh, sort of like his Bat Cave a little bit, right? You'd think De- definitely his Bat Cave, and you know, there's a lot of swag from all the movies between figurines. I mean, the first, the front half of the store is is just that. It's it's all the movie swag. It's the T-shirts. Um, that's where I got that Buddy Christ shirt. Uh-huh. Um, 
and I actually uh, did it have like movie props or anything like that? If uh, for whatever I don't know where. Well, well that's it. That's actually kind of movie a, that's actually a, would have for. That's actually in the back of the store. Oh really? Yeah. But like hot, what like hockey sticks from Clerks or something? It's hard to. Oh, well, they they've got like the original posters. I mean, the best part I thought I showed you the pictures is they had. Uh, they had the the actual blunt mobile in there. Oh, I remember that. Yes, <laughs> they had the yes, blunt. That now that's a definite prop from a Jay and Silent. Yeah, I I forgot about Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Yeah, that's full of props. Absolutely, and they that's have got this... the bong saber in it too. <laughs> <laughs> and the bong saber, and uh, they have uh, they had the Batman outfit from uh, the second movie there, Mallrats. All right. Oh God! <laughs> so, and there actually is comics in there too. I mean, they've got a bunch of trades in there, and it's all new comics. Nothing really too, you know. Before well, I was going to say, is a comic shop? Is it like an overpriced comic shop that yeah. sort of takes advantage of it absolutely? Being, you know, Absol- a tourist tourist. I don't want to say tourist trap, but is it sort of? Well, it is though. I mean, he, 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 there's always people in there, uh-huh. always. I mean, I the. Both, you know, the second time I went there was actually for a signing. But, uh, yeah, the first time I was in there, I was like the first person in there within like five minutes. There was like three or four other sets of people in there. It's just a constant flow in and out. It's a long store, too. It's pretty long and pretty narrow. It's probably, I don't know, maybe uh, 20 yards wide, but it goes back. It now, goes did it back. have any kind of back issue? stuff going on yeah but you know nothing too you know nothing more than like five years old uh-huh and uh, you know everything is well packaged everything's bagged and boarded and prices you can see you know that that's that's gotta be one of my biggest pet peeves are people that you go into these shops and they don't put a price on it yeah they want to price it in accordance to how much you want it yeah basically and, yeah yeah, it's just like, well, I don't know any better. I'm just gonna follow the guide. It's just like, you know what? I've... Yeah. Come on. So, but you can't. I mean, like in some places you go to, they get kind of, you know, some people if they know who you are, they're cool with letting you open up the comic. Generally, they want you to ask them first. Um, with these, they've got them so heavily taped, you can't even get them open, from what I recall. So, but yeah, you know, I mean. Um, the other thing that kind of sets the ambiance for that place is, and you, you, <laughs> when I first walked in, it was dead quiet, and then Walt Flanagan started cranking the metal. It was like just pulsing loud, heavy metal right. the whole time I was there. <laughs> well, that reminds me, like that reminds me of go. I, I went to a couple comic shops in New York City that were like that, and record shops too, where you would go in and it would just be ear bleedingly loud, you know. Yeah, it was air bleeding in the front. In the back, it was quieter. But yeah, like the front third of the store is like where you can buy all the T-shirts and some of the trade paperbacks and basically all the movie swag, like their inactive figures and all that. And then like the second third of the store is really where all the comics are. And then the, the back third is really, I mean, all around the perimeter towards the back is like all the larger props it's great in the blunt mobile they actually have um 
mannequins of Jay and Silent Bob, or as I or should I say, blunt man and chronic, <laughs> like wax dummies, like yes. Madame Tussauds House of Wax yes. dummies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, that's funny. Now this time you went there is that when kevin smith just sort of was he just sort of hanging out there or something no or the no other time you i went there? no i went there i went back there a second time because he was doing a signing oh okay and uh oh it was, was this to do with like um degrassi yeah that tv show yeah oh, it was man. awful because there was all these degrassi kids there i stood in line for four hours <laughs> in the rain with degrassi kids Yes. To get your Degrassi, to see, what to was see, it, Degrassi Junior High or something like that? I don't know, but they were, it's it's, it's so funny, those guys, because they're like, oh, you got to buy the movie if you want us to sign anything. What, like, did he write the episodes of them, or he was on them No, they appeared in them. Jay because, and Silent Bob? Yeah. Well, it's oh. like, <laughs> and I was like, why the hell did you do that? And if you look at the credits, it's like, well, we used to watch it all the time in the convenience <laughs> store. We just, like, got hooked on it. And it was, like, such an honor to actually be there with the Degrassi kids. It's just like, oh, God. I don't think I've ever seen that show. Is it? Is it, like, Saved by the Bell, or was it more of a drama? More of a drama, oh. but it's, it's Canadian. Ooh. It's Canadian. It's on, like, Canadian public television. And it's been on for like 20 years. So is it one of those sort of squeaky, is it squeaky clean? Yeah, but like... Soap it, opera it, Soap opera-like. Ah. And like it's, it's a Degrassi High School and the kids keep on circulating through. And sure. there, this one girl who early on in the early on in the uh, in the show was like this meat kid i forget what it was she was she had some sort of illness and now she's a teacher at the high school and she's still kind of cute you know you know milf like doable potentially and of but course. you know her story so you kind of feel guilty if you did anything <laughs> <laughs> maybe you would bucko <laughs> but i digress but i digress but uh definitely a fun store and um yeah, it's funny because when I got there, I was um, <laughs> I was the last person in who got into the store before they took a break, and I had sat in line for four hours, and I was in the last group. They they had it roped off, and, and there's uh, all these teenagers like behind yeah. you with their autographs, going yay. <laughs> And I was, uh, well, the Degrassi kids were there, too, for the first couple hours, and then they split, and it was just Jay and Lunchbox there, and um, I walked in the store, and I was in the last person of the roped-off that they let in, and, like, everyone went running to the to the back of the store where they were, and I actually, for about 30 seconds, stood stood there by myself, completely with nobody around me. It was kind of surreal. And uh, like I, I started walking, and I was like, "Wow, this is actually kind of surreal." And just kind of looked around and was checking things out. And I thought, you know, it was like I don't know what the hell was going to go on, but so um, yeah, those guys were like dying for a cigarette. Of course, I handed them one of our CDs too. <laughs> excellent! Oh, excellent! <laughs> the greatest <laughs> moments desk. I handed them the CD. To, to Kevin Smith or to uh, Kevin Smith, uh, to, yeah. Oh, okay, I was gonna say Jay would probably be more likely to listen to it. Yeah, but less I know. likely to remember it. Well, he apparently has turned into this huge bong head. 
Kevin Smith. That's all he talks about now is smoking weed, morning, noon, and night. I thought he used to be sort of like, well, I used to smoke a little weed, but now I'm married and I'm No, no, I guess on all his podcasts and everything else, that's all he talks about. Uh, (laughs) Well... That's all he does, which is kind of ironic considering that... Maybe he's trying to win people back after Cop Out or something like that. Cop Out? Is that a movie? Yeah, the last movie. Yeah, you didn't hear about that? Oh, it was terrible, I heard. I haven't seen it. It's... It's with Bruce Willis and Tracy Morgan in it. He, he did that it. movie? He, oh, he directed no. that, yeah. Oh, no. And they're like, you know, hey, he's doing one where he didn't write the, the screenplay, you know, and he always wanted to do an 80s buddy cut, you know. I mean, on paper, look at it. If you're Kevin Smith, it's like he'd want to – he's always had references to all those 80 – like the 48, sure. out, 48 hours and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And – and Bruce Willis was signed on to it, and Tracy Morgan, so, you know, I could see him being like, that would be fun, and he doesn't have to write it, he can just go in and make it, but I heard it didn't work out too hot, I heard it didn't come out too good at all. Well, surprise, surprise, I mean, (laughs) I thought uh, Zach and Mary make a porno was good. Yeah. That was a good book. I, I, you know, I hate to say he should limit himself to, but it's not really limiting himself, but, you know, he has a style and a voice, you know, and when yeah. he tries to play another voice, it usually doesn't work. Maybe he has to do it a few more times to get the hang of doing something different, but. Well, he's, you know what, he, he's self-admitted, you know, he's made a whole career of doing dick and fart jokes. Nothing wrong with that. Put a roof he, over his family's head. He's very good at it. He's awesome. It, it works out very well for him. He, he freaking... I freaking crack a nut every time well, I freaking see those movies. He should have thrown maybe a few more dick and fart jokes in the cop-out. I don't know. I haven't seen it yet, so I'll have to see it just to see how terrible it is. But I've heard it's terrible. Right. Like, lamentable. Just horribly fall on its face, not funny. Well, it's, it's kind of funny. Someone... <laughs> No, he was supposed to do the Green Hornet movie, and that never worked out for him. But uh, they ended up taking his script that and could making be interesting. it. They made it into a comic book. Oh, like Kevin Smith writes the Green Hornets. It's like yeah, it's like the. <laughs> I was reading in the back of the comic shop news. It's like yeah, it's like it was just sitting around. It wasn't going to go anywhere. <laughs> They're right. That's Why true. not make it into a comic book? Yeah, it's it. it quite possibly could be better. It probably would be better. Probably would be better. I, didn't, I haven't read it, but, uh, you know. It's got to be better than this Superman script. What, the last one? He Well, he wrote, uh, it was one that never got made, but he was, at one point, wrote a script that had um, Luther and uh, Brainiac in it, and... The guy, I can't remember the guy's name who kicks Superman's ass and basically kills him. Oh, yeah, Apocalypse or something Apocalypse like that. Apocalypse, yeah, is in it, I believe. And it was like a Superman comic mixed with Kevin Smith. You you do realize that Scott's turning over in his grave right now. <laughs> yeah. We it's can't even this. think He's... of the guy. We can't even think of the villain's name who killed Superman. That tells you how bad we are. Well, yeah. Probably hanging out with Kevin He'd... Smith too much. 
he knows he knows yeah he knows to expect that of me anyway well anyway we're about 15 minutes in and uh uh, I figure we should we should pretty much start to wrap it up, but uh, yeah, no, highly recommend checking out. It's just just for the you know for the halibut. I mean, my God, it's just a fun place to go, and you know, just for the props alone, it's like going to a museum without having to actually spend money, but to to get in, but you gotta spend money just because there's just so much cool stuff in there. Yeah, yeah you're there. <laughs> you, you can't help it. I got you a sticker from there. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you just can't help it. Well, so everybody, listen to that voice and learn to recognize that voice because it may turn up in your local comic shop. It just might. Yeah. Watching, evaluating, and reporting back to us where it goes all over the country. So, uh, all right, until the next... Um, the next time we open up the comic bag I'm Chris Honeywell and Johnny Bueno alright Good night. he's gotta catch another flight <laughs> <laughs>
the saga of the Swamp Thing. And uh, now we're looking at uh, issues 17, 18, and 19 of the Saga of the Swamp Thing. And uh, mm-hmm. from the year 1983, uh, the first one, number 17, is from October, with a cover by Tom Yates and Steve Bissett, who make mm-hmm. a good team. And the, the interior art is like the last one, Yates and Total Bomb, and, of course, Martin Pascal and all three. This is pretty much, except for the cover, this is pretty much going to be the crew for these these next three comics, Yates and Total Bomb and, and Pascal. So, uh... Starting with number 17, Alec, uh, returning from last month's adventure, is uh, going to meet his pals at the at the CD motel, and he just happens to literally run into Abigail Arcane, who's now, as she tells him, Abigail, Abigail Cable, and uh, she's married to Alec's old pal, Matt Cable, and she wants Alex to come and see him. She's kind of, seems kind of concerned, and... Uh, so Alec gets Dennis and Liz to uh, to drive them over to their house, but in transit they're attacked by this big toothy demon thing creature, who calls Dennis Barkley by name and tries to ice him, and it seems to be only attacking him. But so you know the swamp thing tosses a car at him and generally runs the demon off. He and when I say run off, he sort of you know vanishes in a puff of smoke, and um. Happy afterwards just sort of says, oh yeah, those things have been uh, turning up around here lately. It's kind of a weird thing to say offhand. And meanwhile, Harry <laughs> Kay. Oh yeah, we got monsters. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, looking. I forgot. Yeah, that's right. There's big, you know, knife-sized, toothy demon things attacking. <laughs> but we got to go visit my husband. Um, meanwhile, you know, Harry Kay, who is with the group... He sort of wandered off in the swamp to go find Alec when he noticed he wasn't in the car and uh, sort of got lost in, in the swamp. And, uh, you know, he's he's sort of menaced by this sort of giant dragonfly helicopter thing and starts freaking out and running through the woods and steps into what looks like a bear trap. So back at Abby's house, we find that Matt is fucking wasted. Uh, he's been drowning his sorrows ever since he found out that the government hired Sunderland to wipe out all the Swamp Thing-related parties. And uh, he and Abby have been on the run, and it's just, you know, it's it's getting to him. So he's been drinking rather heavily. Uh, we also find out that Dennis once knew him because he treated him at the Barkley Clinic with electroshock therapy when uh, Sunderland brought in in um, Cable and said, oh, yeah, he's he's uh, he's schizophrenic. So, you know, he thought he was just your garden variety loony. So while they're, you know, everybody's figuring all this out, this giant slug creature attacks, and uh, it sort of knocks Abby to the ground, and uh, once again it just sort of zeroes in on one person, and this time it's Matt Cable. And once again, Alex, you know, staves off the monstrosity till it just sort of disappears. So Matt, and I don't know how he's having the DTs, but he starts having the DTs even though he's actually drunk. And, uh, you know, everybody's all of a sudden attacked by these little weird nightmare creatures, you know, floating brains and eyeballs. And uh, so meanwhile, 
um, we find out that Harry Kay is in his own sort of nightmare creature world, uh, that the dragonfly was this sort of helicopter vehicle containing, of all people, Arcane, who used to be ugly, but baby, he sure got uglier. Now it's sort of like <laughs> the torso of Arcane on a, on a bug body. And he's got his new unmen, who are all very bug-based unmen. And he's out for... Wait for it. Vengeance! And that's the end of that issue. So now we'll uh, <laughs> hop right over to number 18, which is November of 1983. And uh, the cover just says, by Tom Yates. Um, Ar- Arcane decides to tell, you know, Cryptman K, or whatever the hell his name is, why exactly he hates Alec Holland. Um, so he, he decides to do this in a flashback, which is somehow illustrated by Bernie Wrightson. This is actually a reprint it is, is what yeah. it is. It's, it's a reprint of an issue. I just didn't know which issue number it was. Yeah, I don't know. what it was. I meant to look that up, to be honest with you, and I totally forgot to do it. But it's got to be within the – I think Bert, uh, Bernie Wrightson only did like the first, I want to say, 12 issues. Right. So it's, so it's got to be within the first 12. But, yeah, this from pages 2 – or, excuse me, pages 3 through 22 is a reprint of an original Swamp Thing issue. And uh, and here 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 we go. Okay, to start this all out, this is a this is a, a story being told by Arcane to Cripman. So now we're gonna start the layers of stories within stories within stories. So <laughs> eight years ago, Alex wandering through the swamp and. Uh, he rescues an old woman named Antebellum from an escaped convict. A escaped convict, and you know she's an old crony sort of, you know, black lady, and and you know by her shack in the in the bayou, and you know she tells him, "Sit down, I'm gonna tell you a story." So, um, so now we got another story within the story within the story. So back when the swamp was a successful plantation, uh. There was a one-armed slave named uh, Black Jubal, and he curses his cruel masters, taking his woman, and uh, so Black Jubal confronts him, and the, the master kills him for his insolent, but Jubal says, you know, he'll return and, and have his vengeance. So uh, one day the masters found, you know, after hearing horrible screams, you know, they find him torn apart, you know, all over the inside of the house, and no sign of any uh, intruder. Nobody knows whoever did it. So back to um, you know, Auntie uh, Bellum and uh, Alec in the swamp. He's talking to her, and he notices that there's these weird creatures watching him in the shadows, and so he decides to chase after him. And of course, he follows him, and they lead him to Arcane, who he thought was, who last he saw Arcane was, uh human you know normal human being and you know the once normal man is now a truly hideous freak and uh you know then he tells Alec his story of how you know his unmen pieced him back together after a swamp thing inspired plummet from his castle tower and now he plans to take the swamp thing and put his brain in his body and have the strong and girl body of the swamp thing 
So, uh, as the unmen swarm Holland, uh, you know, and, and Arcane starts mouthing off about, you know, how he'll make the world his slaves and he'll be the master and blah, blah, blah. It seems to upset the ghosts of the slaves who come swirling out of the graves, um, um, Ark of the Covenant style. Let, <laughs> Very much yeah. so. Yeah, that's a nice analogy. You're absolutely Led right. Led by Black Jubal, and they show up, and they just tell Swamp Thing to go take a nap for a while. And uh, when he wakes up, Arcane's gone, but there's an extra grave there. And the old lady's gone, but there's a gravestone identifying her as Jubal's girlfriend. And so Holland writes it all off as, as just a dream. And so now we go back to, uh, you know, Arcane and Harry Kay. And, but wait, Harry Kay says, you know, that doesn't explain how you're alive and you're here. And, you know, shut up, says Arcane, and get ready as my unmen prepare you for the metamorphosis. And that's the end of... <laughs> issue 18 and into 19 where we get to actually real quick before you do that i i looked up real quick in my cover gallery ah. here and issue reprinted was swamp thing number 10 which just judging strictly by the covers i'm looking at i think t- number 10 may have actually been the last bernie Wrightson bernie writes issue just just judging strictly by the covers but uh i just want to say loved this story as a kid it freaked me out and gave me chills, and it still does. But what's funny is this is a nice peek at the innocence of childhood, you know, my childhood, because the names like Hunk, Dory, and Antebellum went completely right. over my head, and I missed, you know, the, the, the silly little play on words that was going on there. And, and rereading this now as an adult, I was like, oh, you know, that's... <laughs> It's equally really funny and equally equally really cheesy, but I still think this is a really good, almost like Twilight Zone story with the with the black yeah, slaves coming. It's a house of mystery to... type of story. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Great, great book. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just had to throw that in there. Yeah, whatever, how, how much man. I really like this classic story. <laughs> You'll get your chance, you bastard. I'll get you, you bastard. <laughs> All right, on to number 19, December of 1983. Um, so, good year, 1983. Yes, Matt Cable uh, comes to and notices the weird apparitions are gone, but he sees his cabin's on fire, and Abby and Alec are sort of out cold on the other side of the flames and about to be crisp. So he... He starts figuring out that the apparitions were created by his brain when uh, um, when he creates a creature like a tree creature to wake up Holland so he can save Abby. So meanwhile, Dennis and Liz's truck breaks down on the way to get Dennis's medical bag because they wanted to get the medical bag because they didn't know what was wrong with Abby when the slug creature knocked her over. And... Uh, so they blah, 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 blah for a while, and then fi- finally they make out. So uh, Arcane, meanwhile, is is flying his weird TARDIS-like... It's like a TARDIS dragonfly helicopter. Yeah, I like that. Um, um, over to find Abby and Alec, because he's all excited, because two of the people he's wanted to kill are in the same place at the same time. And meanwhile, his unmen are uh, 
wrapping uh, Kripman, Kripman in a sort of cocoon, which I assume is going to be the metamorphosis. And uh, he's bait for a trap for Alex, so Arcane can do a brain switch. And once again, he's just he's just obsessed with get, getting into the body of the swamp thing. Take that as you will. So Arcane grabs Alec, or, or so Arcane grabs Abby and uh, Alec, and Alec's subdued by a giant wasp sting, and uh, prepared for the brain switch. As Arcane, you know, makes his mad scientist speech and throws the switch, the now metamorphosized Kripman chews his way out of his cocoon, and now he's this sort of half-crazed Kripman moth creature. He jumps in between the beam and interrupts it, leaving uh, Arcane just sort of, like, out of his body, and... Uh, and Kripman's killed. He's vaporized instantly by the beam. Swamp Thing then grabs Abby and just sort of jumps out of the crashing helicopter into the swamp as the Unmen start eating their former master. And the ship crashes and explodes, but Alex is not satisfied. In order to believe that Arcane is dead, he must first see the body. And that's the end of... The, of Issue 19. So what did you think, man? I really liked it. It, it did... Uh, boy, I was, I was glad the middle issue had that... Now, I, I'm completely blanking his name. The writer for the original Swamp. Len Wein. Wein. I was just so happy <laughs> to read another writer there in the middle of it and have all of a sudden not have the page just filled with text. Right. But that aside, I love the art and I love the story is getting back into Swamp Thing territory. It's it's a little it's silly and implausible, right. but the original stories with Arcane were silly and implausible. All the original Swamp Thing stories were silly and implausible. It's how you tell them, you know, and this one is is working it right and maybe it's because they had maybe they had that story in the middle there you know i there's been a concerted effort in the last six issues to really bring it back to the swamp right and uh now this is the last pascal issue of the swamp yes thing. and and i'm really glad to see him going out on what i feel is a high note because you know you and i have both commented how he's been kind of wonky with this title. He's he's had high points, he's had low points, he's had some points that were like, well, it's pretty good, but it's a long slog through it. But I think this, you know, th this wraps him up with this, you know, this three-issue arc right here, and he's done. I, I think this ended pretty well. Um, I think 19 is a bit of a slog, only because it's so very text heavy and wordy yet I still think it's a solid story and man does the art make up for yeah. the wordiness because it is beautiful yeah. to look at yeah it's it's gorgeous gorgeous art I, I really like it art wise well, and uh, 18 I can remember see 17 this is my first time reading actually 17 and 19 I've had 17 for, for quite a while 
but I didn't have it originally as these were coming out, you know, when I was a, when we were kids. And then 19, I actually just acquired a short while ago at a show or something. So that was my first time reading these. The only issue I had in this three-issue arc was number 18, and it's a reprint. <laughs> so I really only was getting a, a fraction of the right. story. But I can remember distinctly um, somewhere, I remember reading whether it was in the letters pages or in some trade magazine or something, where when number 18 hit, somebody predicted that was the death knell for this title, that if they were going into reprints, this title was in serious trouble. And, uh, and I think they were right. I think that what happens next issue with Alan Moore coming on to the title and what he did, I think there's a, a huge parallel there to when uh, Frank Miller came to Daredevil, right. when Daredevil on the verge of cancellation and they really you know marvel didn't really care what he did because you know it was a failing book anyway and i think to a certain degree dc had the same attitude when when alan moore took over this title which was you know it was on the verge of cancellation anyway so let him do whatever the hell he wants to those are the best success stories in comics a lot of times you know when when the powers that be give you free reign because they figure well you can't you know you can't muck it up worse than it already is so I love that. Well, you know, I have a, this some feeling that maybe Alan Moore may have been already involved in these last few issues. With the wrapping up. Yeah, I had that, that, that feeling maybe too, Maybe he actually. had talked to Pascal and said, all right, where are you headed with this? Okay, let's start getting rid of it because – if if my recollection, it's been a long time since I've read the Alan Moore one, so I'm really excited for next month when we're going to do them one issue at a time. Yes, and, and, yeah, and uh, you know, I I mean, if if I recall right, I think uh, Dennis and Liz ain't long for this world, really, as far as the comic goes. As characters, they're pretty much discarded because. They're boring, you know. They're they're just sort of like, you know, Alan Moore. Just I think they they they're sort of around and they sort of get wrapped up a little. And I think he want and, you know, I could see him saying, you know, we got to get rid of Kripman. So at least they took Kripman out on a heroic note in a in a bizarre way, right? You know, so and but and he was digging the whole Sunderland subplot. So right. I I think maybe he might have asked them to uh, point it in a certain direction, you know, get rid of this. I'm, get rid I'm of sure this. there was at least a little bit of coordination there. I I, I would I would think uh-huh. you know you would you hope that they would pay that courtesy to the new guy that you know if he was stepping in and saying hey you know could could you do this for me you know leave me at this point to pick up yeah I, I'd I'd like to find that out actually I wonder if there's ever any like if, if there were ever any interviews yeah. that reveal behind the scenes goings on or whatever quite possibly because this you know this comic became a big deal after a little while with alan moore doing it yeah and uh i'm sure there were quite a few interviews and 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 stuff like that and uh but i'm i'm really looking forward to this and i thought this yeah it's it's i i think the comic was has definitely for the last six issues has been going uphill maybe just in little steps the art took you see, I didn't. I I I liked the art before, so you know. But I really yeah. like. I really like this. You know the new art, so it's yeah, and it's gonna explode. 
next month. I'm really I'm excited. Really, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that because, um, as I was telling you, I I just recently acquired um, issue number twenty, which is the first Alan Moore issue, for the very first time recently, and. You know, I got it in like pristine mint condition for a song, which I was so thankful for. I haven't read it yet. I've never read oh. it, but I did. I did thumb through it just to check like the condition and all, and I, I spotted a scene in there. I didn't read it, but just you know, just kind of gauging by the pictures, it does kind of look like maybe Alan Moore just kind of shuffles uh, Liz and Dennis off to that's Buffalo. What I, that's you know, what I sort of remember. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that because I can't remember what issue it was where I came back to Swamp Thing. But I'm I'm thinking it was quite a ways down the road after all the talk, you know, after all the hype that I jumped on. Because I can remember missing a lot of, you know, I, I definitely missed issue 20. I missed, missed the anatomy lesson. I, I missed a lot of stuff. I can't remember exactly where I came in. So I've been chasing a lot of those back issues ever since. So some of this stuff is actually going to be my first time. Uh, you know, next episode will will be my first time reading, you know, that issue that we're going to cover Excellent. number 20. So I'm really looking forward to it. But uh, I had a couple quick notes. Probably my biggest note on this, my biggest uh, thing I wanted to talk about. I'm sorry that it really doesn't have a goddamn thing to do with Swamp Thing, but I feel that I have to point this out inside issues 17 and 18 and then on the back cover of 19 was an ad for the kool-aid man yes, video game I, yes do you remember that oh yeah where well, you had to beat the thirsties <laughs> that was yeah. a, that was actually a fun video game it was a fun video game it was so goofy but if i remember properly wasn't this something you had to send away yes. for in the mail or something yeah you yeah. actually did you actually you see my my mom was one of those like wouldn't let us drink Kool-Aid. So we didn't get, we couldn't, you had to collect the Kool-Aid packets. That's right. And, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, it, and it, and the thirsties would descend these straws into, it was like a big vat of Kool-Aid. That's and right. The thirsties yeah. would descend into them and you had to bump into them with your Kool-Aid man. And, and when you hit them, you know, the straw would, but they would like, remember it had that really just like disgusting, like, <laughs> Yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> I'm looking. I don't know if you have the actual paper issue, but I'm looking yes, at I the do. back cover of 19. And I was looking at the boards here going, okay, I remember, because it's showing the one you're talking about where the thirsties are drinking out of that giant pool of Kool-Aid. And I was looking <laughs> at it going, oh, I remember this screen, but what the hell is this other screen? And then I realized underneath it says the one version is the Atari 2600. The other was the and television. And the television one is completely different. It looks like... Uh, Oh, what was that hotel game? Like, oh, I yeah. can't remember what the name. You know what I yeah. mean, though, where you're like running through rooms and up and down stairs or something. Yeah. So I never played the. I never even saw the Intellivision version, but yeah, I loved the uh, Atari Twenty Six Hundred version. That game kicked ass. I wonder if you can find a meme for it. <laughs> you know, I'll have to check my meme. I'll do that when we go to next break. See if you I'll can find Attack of the Beefsteak Tomatoes. The... <laughs> okay. That was, a, that was one I used to have that. That was, or was Revenge I, of the Beefsteak Tomatoes. It was a you know Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, and it was similar to Kool Aid Man in in some ways. But it was another fun game. 
Not to brag, but I, I have a pretty impressive MAME collection. So, so far, most any video game I've ever looked up, I, I have a copy of it. You know, as, if it's like, you know, either arcade or 2600. So <laughs> I'll have to see if, if I have Kool-Aid Man cool. or, or some of these other ones. But uh, um, oh, yeah. now back to Swamp Thing briefly, based purely on what we would learn with the anatomy lesson in issue number 20 21 do you think the brain switch would have actually worked it because it doesn't seem to me like yeah you could that you could really... cross flora yeah. and fauna <laughs> yeah yeah exactly you know? but yeah i th- there were a lot of weird little uh, that the, the thing about that issue is everybody was telling a story. So it kept going into flashback inside of a flashback. <laughs> yeah. And then there was even another flashback that I didn't even mention because it had really nothing to do with it. But it was in the comic about how Swamp Thing's arm had grown off and grown yes. into an evil Swamp Thing. And that's why that Cable was thought story. he was dead because he'd seen the evil Swamp Thing or the mindless that's evil Swamp Thing destroyed. You know, it was this whole subplot that I didn't even bother to throw into the description because it was just really needless in the storyline. Yeah. But uh, But I'm glad you brought that up only because I I had meant to mention that only in the answer. You're right. You don't really need to know that in the context of the story. But I thought it was a nice callback because that actually was a cool story where in one of the earliest issues, I forget exactly which one it was, of, of the original series... He lost an arm in a fight with like some townies that were doing the, right. you know, the old, oh, there's the monster, get him. And they have like torches and pitchforks and he loses an arm in the battle. And, you know, because he's basically a walking plant, he just grows a new arm. Well, the arm itself, several issues later, a story was picked up where the arm regenerates a new swamp thing. But this one, since it doesn't have the mind of Alec Holland, is almost like a golem. Right. And uh, it was a really good story because he wasn't so much evil as that he was just this mindless, almost like a like a Hulk. And it was it was cool. It was really cool. So it was, it was nice to get a call back to that because I couldn't remember exactly what happened to the to the mindless swamp thing in that. So I, I guess Cable had a hand in its up. destruction. Yeah. yeah. And then thought up. it was actually <laughs> Alec. That, yeah, that was a that was a nice call well, back. I like that. I. I can't remember what I was. I just now that I'm thinking about it, I um, it just seems, and I didn't mention it in my synopses either because there was a lot of um, flashbacks to the last issues. <laughs> you know, the last three, you know, ten, right. or 50, you know, ten or twelve issues. You know, they would have so a good portion of these three were actually flashbacks. You know, a lot of these stories were just, you know, there's very little actual story that happens. It's just a, a lot of That's flashbacks true. and recaps. And uh, now, how, how did you feel about Pascal? You know, they, they do that reprint in issue 18. And then in the next issue, when when Arcane basically gives us the update on how he survived his encounter with yeah, with the ghost. you know everything he kind of contradicted a lot of that you know the ending of that story how did you feel about that because you know it wasn't like it was a deal breaker for me but it did 
bug me only in the aspect of because they kept, if there's anything they that kept should saying be it sacred, was, it was the original. Well, they yeah. kept saying it was from Arcane's point of view. So, so maybe in Arcane's, uh, you know, maybe from Swamp Thing's point of view, when the Unmen attacked Arcane, they were possessed by the ghosts. So Swamp Thing saw the ghost show up and and go, and start swarming on Arcane, when in fact it was really the his own Unmen that were possessed by the ghosts that did that. So when Ar- so Arcane saw it. his own unmen tearing him up, and uh, Swamp Thing th- saw, you know, Black Jubal and his and his killer dead slaves. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I could. I guess I could buy that. Oh, good. It good. just seems oh, like cool. if there's if there's anything that's that should be canon or anything that should be, you know, quote unquote sacred, it would be the original stuff by by wine and uh, well, even and even rights because they created the character. Well, even you know so, I mean? if you're going to go against it, don't reprint the thing you're going to go against in the <laughs> issue before it. You know, that's just that's just common sense. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh well, well, the last thing I had was that you were always a much bigger and and much more knowledgeable Doctor Who fan than I ever was. But I'm curious. Um, now, like I say, I, I this is my first time reading issue 19, and I was surprised to see the word Tesseract yep. in here. Yep. Because the first time I ever saw that word was in Superman. He actually had a fortress that used tesseract technology so it looked like this giant floaty ball yes but actually inside it was like this vast fortress right. it was the fortress of solitude and, and that's but the is same... that actually a doctor who term no it's an actual scientific term oh, it was okay. used i first heard it in the book a wrinkle in time it's used oh, in that okay. but i don't know if they actually used it in doctor who but that was the basic idea of the right, TARDIS yeah. and Doctor Who is it was a Tesseract. But the Tesseract is a real thing. It's a four-dimensional construct. It's really funny because before I read this comic, I'd been doing some reading about stuff like um, Zero Point. And I've been doing a lot of research for an upcoming, sometime vaguely in the future, Philadelphia Experiment show that we've been talking about. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I ended up seeing a bunch of stuff on Tesseracts, and I ended up seeing a clip from Cosmos by, you know, the Carl Sagan show on PBS. Where billions he, and billions. Yes, where he explains, you know, how the difference between us perceiving the fourth dimension by using the analogy of the Flatlanders, the people who only have two dimensions... And then when they're confronted with a three-dimensional being, what it would be like to them from their point of view. And so then he was like, say, so so he was trying to show like what an apple would appear to from a two-dimensional point of view. And then compare that to a tesseract and saying, well, the visual depiction of a tesseract is like this cube within a cube with the corners of the cubes connected. So it looks like a cube suspended in a cube by... I would say, what, what, are there six, four corners on the cube? Anyway, six um, corners on the cube. One, two, three, four, five, six, six corners yeah, on six the cubes. Corners. Connecting to each corner inside. And he's like, but this is just our depiction of it. This, you know, this does, you know. Or is there eight? 
there's eight corners actually. I don't e either way, it's late. Either way, know. you can go to YouTube and put in Carl Sagan Tesseract or Flatland or something like that and see the clip. And you know, it's it's basically, you know, when you see Tesseract and stuff like Doctor Who and The Wrinkle in Time, it's being used in that science fiction manner. But it's alluding to the fourth dimension. It's alluding right. to another dimension. So that's how you end up getting more space. In you know, when you go into a vehicle or whatever it is at this, you know, once you go inside, you're going into another dimension. So yeah, that's what his helicopter is, <laughs> and it's cool. <laughs> Two true freaks, better science through pure bullshit. I want, I want, I want a TARDIS type thing. I want some little like, you know, box that you walk into and it's, you know, the size of a small city. That would be nice. If you bought a TARDIS at a used car lot, would it be a retardis? Oh, on that note, I say we wind it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to take five, and we'll be back with The Walking Fred. <laughs> the Walking Fred. <laughs> it's all about zombie Fred Flintstone. It's awesome. <laughs> Barney, you ate my pebbles. <laughs> I mean, you literally ate pebbles, my child. <laughs> I'm going to eat Bam Bam, you bastard. <laughs> Dead. All right, we are back for the final segment, and I would just uh, like to announce that, yes, I do indeed have the uh, Adventures of Kool-Aid Man oh. 2600 game on my emulator. What was the other one that you were asking I me can't about? remember if it was Attack of the Beefsteak Tomatoes or Revenge of the Beefsteak Tomatoes. Beefsteak Tomato. I don't see... All right. See, these all have like abbreviated names, so sometimes you gotta kind of play like linguistic gymnastics to figure out. I don't see anything under attack. I don't see. And it was from some weird third-party company, you know. Beefsteak. Yeah, some of these. I'm well. There, there's a good portion of these in here. Let me try tomatoes and just see. If well, I mean, Kool-Aid Man was for yeah. Christ's sake. So. If you know. I forgot to look and see if it was in here. Was uh, what was that one called? Mountain King. Yeah, loved that game. Is that in here? I don't think I've ever looked to see if that was in here. That was a great game. We need to do a whole show on video. Yep, sure enough, Mountain King. There it is. Holy shit! I need to start playing that again so I can get all worked up and have a stroke. I went through more joysticks playing that friggin' game. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what the little sparkly thing is that you're after. That was after. I keep trying to say the Gond, but that was, that was uh, the other. That it was, was like that the other Spirit game. of the Mountain or some damn thing. It had just a one-word name that was really goofy. Oh, yeah, I don't. You know, somewhere I probably still have the actual cartridge and the uh, the, the instruction the instruction. Booklet. Yeah, because I never threw anything away. I was actually good about that kind of shit when I was a kid. I don't see anything under attack, beefsteak, or tomatoes, dude. So I don't know. It's kind of looking like I might not have that game. Huh. 
You're sure it was beefsteak tomatoes? Yes, I do. I don't know. When I get some spare time, I'll start working my way through some of these games just to see what the hell they are. Maybe maybe I do have it, and I, it, I'm just not looking under the proper code word or something. I can't remember if it was attack or revenge. Oh, maybe it it's a definite maybe play. It's all right, let me look at revenge and see. <gasps> revenge, Tom. Let's see. Does it look almost like a Space Invaders type of... It's a little like that. You're flying a little uh, a little poison that, you know, like you would spray in your garden, and there's there's yes. these bars. I, this the is it. I remember this game now. And when you yes. shoot the tomatoes, they make a very satisfying splat. <laughs> yes. that's. And I do have it. Yes, I do. I'm sure you played it with me because it was one of those ones I had to send away for it too, I remember. It came yep. in the mail and I was very excited. It was from like a cereal box or something. Now that I see it, yeah, now I remember it. I didn't remember it before, but yes, I, I very clearly remember it now. Oh my God, I might start playing that again. You have to shoot them and then you turn the... <laughs> I'm remembering it now. You shoot them and you turn the color of that tomato and then you're building you're building walls and trying to wall them in. And when you get all the walls built, you go on to the next level. So you have to shoot certain tomatoes of certain colors to to build your wall. Did I not send you a copy of this disc? This this it's the one I can't remember what the name of it is. It's like the arcade one thousand or some fucking thing, but no. see as a bonus on the disc is an extra it says like an extra like five hundred games, but all those five hundred are actually all Atari games. Uh-huh. It's got to be a pretty complete list because Custer's Revenge is in there. And that was like, you know, that banned Holy Grail game because that right. was the, where the whole idea was you had to make it across the field of Indians so that you could literally bang the, uh, what was it, like the chief's daughter or some fucking thing. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I remember, remember the big stink there was about that game? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now we've got Grand Theft Auto. So yeah, I yeah. I mean, you don't you don't see anything. I mean, she's supposed to be naked, but everything looks like a block. So you know, yeah, right. It's Atari twenty six hundred. So how pornographic can you get? You yeah, know? exactly. If you can masturbate masturbate to a twenty six hundred game, you know, then you're good fourteen luck years to you. old. Yeah. You're fifteen years old or whatever. You know, <laughs> you can masturbate to anything at that age. There anyway. You. <laughs> That's not what we're here to talk about, man. Yeah, enough about your youth. All right, here we go. My youth. <clears throat> I'm not sure it wasn't any part of your youth either. Whatever, never, man. never. All right, so we are actually, I'm going to uh, bite off quite a bit with this uh, particular series of synopses. I am going to encapsulate Walking Dead issues 20 through 24. I know that's quite a stretch. I'm going to try to make it brief, but the reason I hope will be apparent when we get to the end of yeah. for 24, it has a truly awesome ending and kind of wraps this whole storyline up with the direction we're going. So anyway, um, these issues are all, of course, written by Robert Kirkman, interior art by Charlie Adler, and covers by Tony Moore. All right, for issue number 20... The synopsis is, as the zombies continue to gather at the fence, Glenn comes up with a way to silently take out the closest ones uh, using a, uh, a knife. Maggie comes to collect him for a meeting that Andrea has called together. 
at the meeting, Andrea announces that she has made herself the groom's, the group's rather seamstress and passes out new clothes that she's made from prison fatigues. Alone in their cell, Rick and Lori have a moment in which Lori admits that she's still terrified, you know, that all the drama they've been experiencing since they arrived at the prison, you know, like with uh, with Thomas, Thomas the serial killer and Dexter trying to evict them, basically, that all that drama isn't really over and that she doesn't feel safe. And Rick tries to reassure her and comfort her. In the prison courtyard, uh, or in the prison yard, rather, Otis confronts his uh, girlfriend, kind of, I guess, ex-girlfriend at this point, Patricia, and he tells her point blank that because she sided with the prisoners that tried to drive everyone out against the band of her fellow survivors, that she is now dead to him. Carol and Tyrese are again having a moment in the gymnasium when the new girl from last issue, the uh, so-called ninja girl, you know, the one that was carrying the katana, whose name we learn is, I'm going to pronounce it as Michonne. I'm not sure that's exactly right, but that, that's how I'm going to pronounce it. She shows up and she's looking for the uh, the weights room. She wants to uh, you know work out with weights and they point her to it and then decide to go in and try to engage her in conversation. And during their chat, Michonne actually recognizes Tyrese as a former player for the Atlanta Falcons football team. And so they really hit it off and everything, much to Carol's dismay. Back at uh, what was their shared cell, Glenn and Maggie finally get a chance to talk. And when Glenn says that he'll you know, get all his shit together and move out, she actually asks him to stay. She says that she really does like him. She knows that he cares for her, and she confesses that she really, really needs to get laid. Um, Dale and Andrea talk in their cell, and they agree to stay, at least for now. There is a great scene between Herschel and Axel, one of the prisoners, in which Axel tries to be friendly and assure Herschel that Thomas was not his friend, that he didn't even know or like the guy, and that he personally is not like him at all. He's paid his debt to society, and he just wishes that Herschel would stop uh, looking at him as if he were some kind of monster too. When Herschel fails to respond to any of this, other than to just look, you know, shoot daggers at, at Axel, basically, Axel just gives up and he, you know, kind of mutters, a, well, fuck you too, which I really liked. <laughs> It's just, I really like the character of Axel. He's he's a cool guy. I was just gonna say I like Axel. I do too. I really do like him. Uh, Rick rounds up a posse to clean out and take over the newly opened A block, recruiting Axel, and Alan surprisingly volunteers for the mission as well. They make their way through the darkened block, find the prison library, and eventually. Alan foolishly allows himself to be bitten on the back of the leg through his own carelessness. The issue concludes with Dale and Tyrese, who know nothing of what's just happened to Alan, finding the generator room and, room rather, and proclaiming, this must be our lucky day. Moving along to issue number 21, Dale and Tyrese stand in awe of the massive generator, wondering if it even works, when they hear screaming and rush to investigate. Reuniting with uh, Rick and Axel, they see that Alan has been bitten and is flipping out because of it, proclaiming himself to be a dead man and that he can feel the infection spreading up his leg and everything and begging Rick to take care of his boys. 
the four men hustle Alan out into the yard and into the light so they can get a better look at him. They tear open Alan's pant leg and look up in shock at Rick, who's suddenly wielding this hatchet. And Rick hurriedly explains that they have to amputate his leg, that it's his only chance for survival. They're all really sickened by this and by the thought, but they do reluctantly agree that it's the best plan that they've got. And Rick hacks off Alan's leg just below the left knee, which is like, yikes. Really intense sequence. Reminded me a lot of, uh, I forget what movie it was. I think Glory, where they it shows them like sawing somebody's leg off, which is pretty much how they had to do it back then, you know, when they didn't have any sort of medicine or anything to give you. You know, you just had to kind of grit your teeth and bear it. It's a pretty gruesome scene. Anyway, Herschel comes up on this scene, and after some quick explaining by Rick that he was trying to save Alan's life by doing this, and that they've already learned that it's not the bite that turns you, but rather just simply dying of the bite. You know, everybody's eventually going to become a zombie just by dying. Herschel uh, cuts off a handful of Alex, uh, excuse me, Axel's hair and attempts to tie off the exposed arteries before Alan bleeds out. At the inner fence, Carl and his little girlfriend Sophia stand holding hands and staring out at this ocean of zombies that have gathered at the outer fence. Carl asks her if she's still afraid of them and she replies, no, not anymore, and that she simply feels sorry for them because they look so sad. Uh, Just then the kids see the men rushing past carrying Alan and they are visibly shaken by all this. In his cell, Otis is praying for some hope and relief from his pain when Rick and the others rush past him with Alan and lay him out on a caught in an empty cell and try to treat him. Otis asks what's going on and is pretty angered when uh, Tyrese barks orders at him to gather towels, soap, and water. So some time later, Lori and Carol are having a talk and kind of bonding just over their common interests when Rick comes in looking like complete hell. And Carol instantly asks, you know, is there something wrong with the children? So he tells the two women what's happened and uh, Carol rushes off you know, rushes out of the room upset. She wants to go check on Alan. Uh, And Rick asks his wife if she wants to go see Alan as well, and she replies that she's seen it all before and that there's really no point. In the makeshift sickbay, Andrea tries to reassure Alan that he's going to be all right, but he seems resigned to his fate and asks Andrea to raise his boys with Dale as their own. The boys are actually present right there in the room while all this is going on. Uh, Carol rushes in, is horrified to learn that Rick chopped Alan's leg off, and then she rushes out to find her boyfriend Tyrese. And she finds him all right. She finds him receiving a blowjob from Michonne in the gymnasium. I'm not making that up. Later, the issue closes out with Michonne explaining that she really likes it here, despite not being fully trusted by the rest of the group yet but that this is all about survival at this point and that she feels that she could survive here. She's interrupted by Andrea, who asks her, who exactly are you talking to? And the last page reveals Michonne sitting alone on a bunk in an empty cell as Andrea proclaims, there's nobody there. I thought that was uh, a nice ending to that particular one. So 
The next issue, number 22, picks up exactly where that one leaves off with Michonne telling Andrea that she's not talking to anybody and that whatever Andrea heard, it didn't come from her. And they have kind of a tense stare down moment. And when Andrea finally leaves, Michonne calls her a fucking bitch behind her back. That night in their cell, Tyrese wakes to Carol trying to give him some head uh, while her daughter is sleeping right there in the same cell, I might add, and he actually stops her. She breaks into tears over this, and she tells him, tomorrow I want you to move all your shit into another cell. Glenn and Maggie try to sneak back to their cells. They've been off scromping elsewhere. But Herschel, her father, catches them. But surprisingly, he doesn't go off about anything. He uh, offers a mild scolding about, you know, the the two of them going off without really telling anybody where they were or what they were going to be doing. And he informs both of them about what's happened to Alan because they didn't know. After actually wishing Glenn a good night and being nice to the kid for a change, he takes Maggie aside and tells her that while he doesn't exactly approve of what she and Glenn are doing, he wants her to be happy um, just so long as... uh, she doesn't make him, her father, worry about her too much. In the morning, Dale helps Rick get the bandages off his hand that was, you know, you'll remember it was mutilated when he pounded the piss out of Thomas a few issues back. The unwrapping reveals that Rick's hand is healing, but it's pretty messed up. Rick can't even make a fist with that hand. So Dale says that it's not the end of the world, but Rick points out that the zombies at the gate kind of tell a different story about the end of the world, which I I like that bit of dialogue. I thought that was great. Leaving Dale's cell, Rick witnesses Tyrese moving out of Carol's place. He asks Carol about it. She says that they broke up, and then she collapses, sobbing onto Rick. Out in the prison yard, Herschel is actually teaching Axel, of all people, how to plow. And they actually seem like maybe they're finally starting to bond a little bit. And Axel asks him if he ever thinks about the zombies. You know, they're watching their group all day long and everything that they do. But Herschel says that he tries never to think about them at all. Axel confesses that he thinks about them all the time. You know, wondering who they were when they actually were alive and what they did before they died. The jobs that they had and their families and if any of them you know, might be family that are out there in that ocean of zombies, you know, have they actually stuck together after death? And, you know, that that those things all used to be people just like them. You know, what did it feel like when they died? And does the the process of coming back hurt? You know, and is that why they whine or excuse me, why they moan so much? And he says, you know, you got to ask yourself these questions. And odds are that we'll all be like that before long. I thought that was an excellent bit of dialogue. I I really liked that scene a lot. It it really lent a lot into what these characters are thinking and and the the, the psychological impact that living in this world of theirs must have on them. So back inside, Andrea and Dale are upset to find Alan's boys alone in the cell with their dying father, who, you know, literally, if he dies, he could become a zombie. He could attack them. So Otis, who was supposed to be watching them, is nowhere to be seen. One of the boys confesses that Alan wants to be with their dead mother and that he told them that he will be soon. Uh, Otis shows back up asking if the boys are all right and telling them that he had to go tinkle. (laughs) In the cafeteria, Lori invites Michonne to sit with them for breakfast over Carl's protest that he doesn't like her. 
And they just start to get into chatting with Michonne admitting that she did have a family that included two children. When Rick walks up, tells her of the situation with uh, Tyrese and Carol and asks his wife to please go talk to her. So Lori rushes off to do this. And Rick leaves Carl still eating with Glenn and Maggie and he catches up to Lori. And Rick confesses to her, or excuse me, Rick confesses to being really worried about Carol. And he tries to kind of coach Lori on how to talk to her, which elicits kind of a rebuke from his wife. And they come to Carol's cell where they find her bleeding out from slit wrists while her horrified little girl just sits there just shocked watching this. So Michonne finds Tyrese moving into his new digs and offers to keep him company anytime. But Tyrese is actually kind of pissed at her for fucking things up between he and Carol because he feels like they actually had something special. And he tells Michonne all of this, but she applies her wicked feminine wiles. And just as he succumbs to her along comes Rick and Rick's like, what the fuck? And he really lays into Tyrese about Carol having just tried to off herself because of him and their breakup. And here Rick finds, you know, Tyrese getting all hot and heavy with another woman already. So Michonne runs out. She's concerned about Carol. You know, she she feels responsible for this situation. And at this point, Rick really lays into Tyrese. And with tears streaming down his face, you know, Tyrese begs Rick, you know, not now. But Rick is really just, he's on a tear at this point. He rants about how he's been trying to hold all these people together and how they're all basically ready to die and all they need is an excuse. And he asked Tyrese if losing his daughter wasn't enough to show him that and tells him that if Carol dies, you killed her. And on the final full page splash, Tyrese knocks the shit out of Rick. And that's where that particular issue ends. So number 23, of course, picks up exactly where the last one uh, leaves off. And we basically get uh, Tyrese just beating the hell out of Rick. He's he's really pissed about what Rick has said. And he basically beats on him un- until Rick doesn't fight back. And then Tyrese kind of comes to his senses, at which point Rick confronts him. He's very defiant about it. And he asks him, you know, are you finished? And he tells him, you know, You need to calm down. Don't fucking hit me again, he says. And at this point, Tyrese realizes that maybe Rick's starting to lose it a little bit. He says, you're insane. You've lost your mind. And they really get into it at this point because Rick lays it all on the line. And he blurts out, you know, that I remember what you did. You know, you killed Chris in cold blood. And the situation between the two of them just escalates because at this point, they start airing their dirty laundry and they don't give a shit who hears them because Glenn and Maggie are right there and they wake up and they're witness to all of this as Rick is laying out the fact that Tyrese is a cold-blooded murderer that he choked the life out of that boy with no regrets at which point Tyrese brings up the fact that well you know you killed Dexter what about that and Rick tries to explain that it's a different situation what he did to Dexter he felt like he was protecting the group that everybody's called on him to be the leader to be the protector he was a policeman after all and he felt like what he did was justified for the safety of the group 
and Tyrese calls bullshit on him and tells him that basically he's got a bloodlust at this point. He actually enjoys the killing and that he enjoyed killing Dexter. And Rick completely fucking snaps, slams Tyrese against the rail, and it almost looks like he's going to try to send him over. Rick, or excuse me, Tyrese fights back. They get into just just a bare-knuckle fist fight. It's just a street brawl at this point. And Rick is so weakened by the beating that he received that he passes out and actually tumbles over the railing and drops, I'm not sure how many stories, at least one level down onto the prison floor and, and just lays there. Tyrese is, you know, he's, Rick is still his friend. He's still concerned. He actually jumps down after Rick to check on him. And when he lands, he messes up his foot, maybe even breaks it. And at this point, they're still pissed at each other. They still want to fight, but it's it's almost like they live style. They've beat the hell out of each other to a point where they just can't fight anymore. And this is the point where Lori comes into the picture and wants to know what the hell's going on. And Glenn explains that they had a fight. So she picks up her husband and tries to help him up. But Rick can't even stand. He, he's that weakened by what's going on. At this point, Andrea stumbles into the room, crying, visibly upset. And everybody's asking, you know, what happened? Is Carol okay? Is it Carol? What happened to Carol? And she says, you know, she just kind of whispers, Alan is dead. And so he died of, uh, of what happened to him. And Rick is actually able to gather his wits and gather his strength. And he forces himself upright and says, I'll shoot him. I don't want anyone else to have to do it. And he even has a little jibe at Tyrese about, you know, unless you think I'd enjoy that too much. And they have a, a, a tense little stare off for a moment. And Lori confronts Tyrese, wanting to know what the hell were they fighting about? And Tyrese says, you know, later. And we get a couple of silent panels in which the group is just standing around stunned when they hear the, the gunshot where Rick has put down Alan. And as he stands in the dark, and you can't really see Rick's face. He's, he's really just kind of a black outline. Herschel shows up and tells him that, you know, he was able to save Carol. She's going to be fine. That actually it wasn't really as bad as it may have looked. And Michonne tries to offer something of a, an apology, something of an explanation to Rick. And Rick doesn't seem to be responding. And she calls to him. And on the very last page, Rick suddenly collapses and Herschel has to catch him. And that's how that issue wraps up. And for the last one, awesome, awesome cover, by the way, by uh, Tony Moore of Rick looking absolutely maniacal on the cover of 24. It, it almost looks like he's he's locked in a rubber room or something, but he's got an absolutely insane expression on his face. It's really pretty scary. And we start out the issue with Rick returning to consciousness and Carol is watching over him. And he asks her how long he was out and if the dead people are still walking around. And she doesn't get that he's actually cracking a little bit of a joke because the last time he was out for any significant amount of time is when he woke up in issue number one to find that the world had ended and uh, the dead were, were walking about. And at this point, he's actually upset with himself. He realizes that, 
you know, all this shit has gone down. He, he even says, he says, a friend of mine just beat the snot out of me. Another friend just died. Countless others are dead and countless other dead people are walking around out there. And I just cracked a joke. Maybe I am losing it, which I thought was a really good piece of dialogue. At which point, Carol, completely out of the blue, just puts the lips to, to Rick. She's, she's locked in this really passionate uh, kiss with him. And he pushes her off and is like, you know, what the hell's wrong with you, basically? And she says, you know, I'm sorry. She makes a little apology. She says, you know, listen, I'm not going to tell Lori if that's what you're worried about. And he says, well, I'm going to tell her, which I, I like that. I, I like that, you know, he, he he has that kind of a relationship with his wife where he, he wouldn't want to keep something like that. See, I, I like that. I thought that was a very honest thing for him to do. And he has a little talk with her about, you know, the fact that they can't be the last piece. He's basically giving her the one day you'll find somebody's speech, which is kind of ironic when there can't be that many people left. But he, he does have good reasoning that these can't be, you know, their little band can't be the last people on earth, that there's got to be somebody else out there and that, uh, you know, maybe there'll be somebody out there for her. And Dale comes to check up on him and, and he says that, you know, he feels like, uh, he, he tells Dale, he says, I feel like I should be trying to eat pieces of you, meaning he feels like he ought to be dead, I guess. But that, you know, at least he's up and around and everything. At which Dale says, you know, I need you to sit back down. I want to have a talk with you. And he breaks the news to Rick that while he was out, they decided they had a meeting and they decided that Rick is not going to be their leader anymore. What they decided to do instead was that they're going to a committee committee system, and the committee is going to consist of Rick, Dale, Herschel, and Tyrese, and they will now make the decisions between the four of them, and they'll vote on things rather than just depend on one man and put all that pressure on one person because they've seen the toll that it's taken on Rick. And Rick seems more or less okay with this idea and and Dale kind of explains the dynamics of how the whole thing is going to work and Rick asks him point blank he says give it to me straight Dale they all think I'm crazy and Dale I think is very honest in this he says that he doesn't know you know some of them probably do and Tyrese is pretty pissed at him right now you know they, they fought and they attacked each other and everything and that people don't know what to think and Rick says, what do you think? And he says, I, I don't know. I really just don't know. He goes, I want you to be okay. And it seems like they, they have an honest friend moment there that, that Rick appreciates the fact that Dale is being straight with him and everything. And he asks Dale to help him um, find everybody that he wants to talk to everyone. And we get a, a nice little moment between uh, Carl and his little girlfriend, Sophia, and everything. And the book basically wraps up where we get a really nice two-page spread of everyone outside working in the field. You know, they're, they're working on planting a garden, basically. They, they realize that their canned food supply is not going to last forever, and they're going to have to start cultivating their own food. And Herschel has got everybody out working in the field, trying to uh, raise their own crops and everything. And there's some nice dialogue where we see that Laurie is really, really pissed at Tyrese for everything that went on. And 
they're they're giving each other glances and everything when Glenn says, uh, well, speak of the devil. And everybody turns and looks. And here's Rick just looking like hell. I mean, he's a mess. And everybody kind of turns to him. And this is pretty much what goes down. Rick says, Dells tells me things have been discussed since yesterday. He tells me there have been some changes made. Good. I agree with you 100%. I'm not fit to be making all the decisions around here. None of us are. This committee idea is a good one. I think it's really something we need. It flat out makes sense, really. But I'm also under the impression some things are being said about me. I'd like to just clear the air. I want to get this all out in the open. And Tyrese says, Rick, look, we all respect you and thank you for everything you've done for us, but you've really gone over the deep end. You killed Dexter. And Rick snaps right back. He says, what? He says, what? That's what you people can't get over? That's what you, that's what got you thinking I've lost it? And they're all giving him a very uncomfortable stare. They're all looking at him because it's a very awkward moment. And Tyrese just says, Rick. And Rick shouts him down. He just points at him. He says, don't interrupt me. I have something to say, and you're all going to listen to me. You owe me that much. He says, I'm a cop. I know that technically what I did was wrong. I know the laws. I know how things used to be. Things have changed. To which Tyrese says, we can't just ignore the rules, Rick. We've got to retain our humanity. And Rick says, that's what I'm saying. He says, I killed Dexter to, Dexter to protect us all. He was threatening to kick us out of this place, our sanctuary. He was going to force us out into the wild. How humane would things have been out there? How many people did we lose on the way here? I saw an opening and I took it. There was a lot of confusion during the attack, I'll admit. I should have come clean right away and explained myself right then and there. But I thought you people might prefer not to know just how savage we're going to have to be just a little while longer. You guys understand what I'm talking about, right? And they all just kind of look at him and they're all staring at him with different expressions. He says, things have changed. The world has changed. and We're going to have to change with it. Understand? Do you people still think we're going to be rescued? Do you? They're not coming. Think about it. It's been almost a year. We're on our own. It's just us in this place. That's all we have for sure. If you still think things are going to go back to the way they were, stop. They're not. Nothing will ever be the way it used to be, ever. Do you think you're ever going to watch television again? Go to the bank? Buy groceries? Drop your kids off at school? Ever? It will never happen. You can come to grips with that sad fact, or you can sit around wishing for it to happen. You can sit around trying to follow every retarded little rule we ever invented to make us feel like we weren't animals, and you can die. We will change. We will evolve. We'll make new rules. We'll still be humane and kind, and we'll still care for each other. But when the time comes, we have to be prepared to do whatever it takes to keep us safe. Whatever it takes. You kill, you die? That was probably the most naive thing I ever said. The fact is, in most cases, now the way things are, you kill, you live. We have to adapt to this world if we are going to survive. Have I gone a little crazy? Maybe, but so has the world. You don't want me to be the leader? Fine. I don't care. I'm happy to be without the pressure. I will tell you this, though. I will do whatever I have to do to keep us safe. Whatever it is, I will do it. If you want to stop butting heads with me, if you want to get on the same page with me, understand that. But you have to stop this charade. 
You've got to stop fooling yourself. This is it. This is our life. We're not waiting here. We're not biding our time, waiting for what comes next, or waiting to be rescued. This is what we have. This is all we'll ever have. If you want to make things better, make this place better. We have to come to grips with that. And Tyrese says, we are, Rick. That's what you don't understand. We are trying to reestablish life as it was. That's our goal. We don't want to become savages. That's what you don't get. And Rick replies with, it's obvious now that I'm the only sane one here. We already are savages, Tyrese, you especially. The second we pull a, put a bullet in the head of one of those undead monsters, the moment one of us drove a hammer into the, one of their faces or cut a head off, we became what we are. That's just it. That's what it comes down to. You don't, you people don't know what we are. We're surrounded by the dead. We're among them. And when we finally give up, we become them. We're living on borrowed time here. Every minute of our life is a minute where we steal from them. You see them out there. You know that when we die, we become them. You think we hide behind walls to protect us from the walking dead. Don't you get it? We are the walking dead. And there's a great last page, a full page splash where Rick just looks completely broken and everybody is looking at him in utter shock where he just whispers, we are the walking dead. And man, I hope you'll forgive me reading all that, but I just think that's awesome. I think that's the moment in this series that just, he lays it all out and it's just fantastic. <laughs> I didn't put you yes. to sleep today. <laughs> huh? What? <laughs> yeah, it's such a boring story. <laughs> people beating the shit out of each other and going into comas for 26 hours and coming out bitching everybody out yeah do you remember the reaction when this issue came out i mean it was i mean people were like whoa and it is <laughs> it's definitely the whoa issue you well know? this was the issue that spoke everything that hadn't been spoken in the you know Basically, Rick just came out and said, the ends justify the means. Yes. That's, that's all he said in a nutshell, you know, but he put it very eloquently and, cru you know, just crudely and bluntly, too. It's, it's very well-written speech. I like this issue for so many reasons. I like his speech for so many reasons, what, not the least of which is, and I, I'm, I, I don't know that, Kirkman was going for this. He probably wasn't. It's probably just me projecting. But in the world that we live in today, the, the post 9-11 world that we live in, this is the attitude I personally adopted, you know, with certain things. And this is the attitude I wish our, our country and our government would adopt when it comes to the situations that we face as a nation today. And so seeing that Rick gets it, that in order to keep his band safe and his people and his family, that you've got to be willing to do things that might come down to being somewhat morally reprehensible. I liked that moment in this series because we'll come to see that he's not fucking around. He means it. He's completely serious about this. Oh, I think we already know that he means it. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, I think he's pretty much illustrated it by now. Oh, I think sure. he did with this speech. I, I think he finally put it down. But I mean, you know, not. I don't know. Chopping so, Alan's leg off was uh, 
No, there's, you know, Rick, I mean, from the very beginning, Rick has done, he's been caught by surprise a few times. Right. But for the most part, uh, you know, his cop training is there, you know, he's through and through a cop and he, you know, he does, you know, he, he sizes up this, you know, this is, uh, this whole, um, series has been, a, oh, what do they call it? S- situational ethics. Yes. You know, an illustration of situational ethics. Yeah. And people talk about situational ethics as a sort of bad thing. And I guess in a culture like ours, where you have, you know, you have a society being held together and the rule of law and all that, then situational ethics can be kind of hypocritical or they could be kind of self-serving. But in the world of The Walking Dead, <laughs> they're a downright survival mechanism, mm-hmm. you know. You, you you definitely have to adjust your ethics in order to survive in this world. And, you know, this, the last, what, six or seven, eight issues of that have been just a, you know, that, this, this, la- that last issue was the summing up of the last, you know, eight or ten issues. Right. And everything that's happened since they've gotten, well, or less than that, since they've gotten to the prison. And, and you're... You know, you've just like I. Th- I thought what was very interesting in this is you find out that Otis is kind of a racist. Yeah, he tosses out the N word when he's telling off. You know what was Andrea? Um, not Andrea. Pat- Patricia. Um, Patricia. When he's telling yeah. off Patricia. And I think you know, that's he, also why he. Uh, I forget what exactly he says. I think he's he mumbles he's to himself, uh, "Boss me around" or something. Yeah, I, yeah. He doesn't Tyree say anything racist, but I think it was. It, it's implied that. The reason oh, yeah, it's more is than he's being ordered around by a black yeah. man. He doesn't like a black guy telling him what to do. Yeah. Which is so funny in such a small group of survivors, you know. It's, yeah. It's, but, to, you know, to illustrate that that racism is still alive, yet at the same time, Otis isn't made to be a stereotypical racist character. He's more of a... more. You know, showing the ingrained racism of the South. You know, he's right. he's got that because you know you see a scene with him ten pages later where he's with the kids and he's like, "Sorry, kids, I got it." He's all goofy and happy, and you know when, and you know you can see that someone can be a a hospitable and even a nice person. Although, albeit, it's also been established that he's not the brightest. Yeah, he's guy pretty dim-witted. Yeah, and. and uh, and still be a racist, you know, and uh, fairly overtly, you know, he's, he's not overt. He's, you know, he's keeping it in enough to, so no, you know, he's not saying anything to anybody black or around anybody black or even around anybody white. Right. But when he was one-on-one with her and he knew that conversation wasn't going to go anywhere else, you know, he let it fly right there, you know? Right. And he used it. He used it actually to kind of humiliate her because it made her look a little racist too because she kind of hung her head in shame after he left, you know? Right. And and that was a very complex scene for a comic book. And, uh, I mean, the you know, as <clears throat> I say every episode, you know, the writing is great, but the the fusion of the the artwork with the writing, you know, because a lot of this interplay is is very well represented by, you know, the facial expressions and body language and such. 
I really like that aspect of this, though, because for one thing, Kirkman didn't shy away from using that word. And I, I, I respect that. I mean, that takes balls in, in this day and age to use it, even when you're trying to make some sort of a social commentary or, or make a point still to, to, to have, you know, the guts to use that word. You know, I, I, that that's pretty ballsy, I think. Well, he used but, it exactly like Otis used right, it yeah. as, a, as a weapon. You know, he pulled it out, you know, when right. he didn't expect it. And and it was even in like sort of bolder, you know, you could tell he just like, well, I'll just say it. He called her a nigger lover. Right. Yeah. Because, this, you know, or no, he said basically, you know, you, you know, you were going to band up with them and they're niggers. Right. And you could tell he said it with some poison and yeah. some, some grit. And she and afterwards she hung her head. She was like, yeah, he's right. You know, and that's, shamed her, that's yeah. quite a scene. Yeah, that's quite an intense scene. You know, I, I like that scene because the, the thing I take away from that is is the just the the fucked up nature of the fact of i don't know exactly how many people there are but say there's a dozen for all they know their dirty dozen is, is it, it is all the humanity that's right. left and, and he's still racist yeah you're, you're jesus christ you know there's there's this small little pitiful how, band left and and yeah. you're going to single people out of how, that little band exactly how could you be against anybody no matter what they were as long as they were a living breathing human that didn't want to kill you you yeah. know or yeah. didn't want to steal from you or cause you harm at that point they're an ally no matter what if they're a scientologist or black or whatever you know right it shouldn't at that point it's just like you know you you're 98.6 you're okay with me i mean as, but, you it, know as it's a, old habits die hard and they're not even yeah. old habits at this point you know it's only a year into it and as we just said otis is not too bright he's kind of you know the sort of good-natured dim-witted you know he would have probably been more good-natured in better times you know he was probably just sort of an oafish guy and nobody probably would have really even seen that. And that racism might have been even just something left over from his childhood, you know? I just, I think it's a wonderful, well, I mean, it's not wonderful, but I mean, the commentary underlying all that is is a wonderful examination of, I would I would think that most people would have a tendency to think in a, in a horrible, horrible situation like this, that it would be like, you know, like say on Lost, where all the survivors kind of pull together for for common survival, and and right. all the barriers that stand between us as human beings kind of fall away, and you no longer care about race or creed or religion or or anything like that. It becomes we are human beings, and you see that at least with this one guy, it don't work. You know, he he's still living in in an old system. You know, it, the the old prejudices and the old mentality remains right. even with this pitiful band that's left and you're like holy shit you know i mean that that was one of the well, it illustrates the, the strength really of 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 prejudice and you know it's just an illustration of the strength that it has yeah o over humans still you know yeah and and even to a point of where you know, maybe it's even being dug up a little bit because of the situation, because Otis is stressed out 
and it's extreme situations and it's a girl that he was once sort of dating you know right and now there's animosity between the two of them so it might have been something he dug out from deep inside of him and uh you know once it came out there then the thing with tyrese gave him another little jab of it you know so who knows well you know maybe it'll be i can't remember if it's expounded on yeah i don't either further in the future but we'll we'll see yeah but um and 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 you got to it ahead of me in the description but yeah that fight between tyrese and rick is totally out of they live it's the total just (laughs) like put the sunglasses on boom you know it's just a Back and forth. You're a murderer. Yeah, you're a murderer too. Boof, 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 boof. You done fighting? Yeah, I'm done fighting. Boof, you know. Yep. That sort of thing. I love it. It's yeah, just it, a grueling. It did me that. <laughs> I think I caught a flub, by the way, in uh, issue 22. You know, there's that scene where uh, where Dale takes the bandages off, uh-huh. and and Rick. You know, there's there's like those. I think it's four panels. Where, where Dale says, you know, see if you can make a fist. And you see, like, like uh, Rick's fingers barely move. They, they barely change position in those panels, however many panels it is. I think it's four of them. And so the, the hand is pretty much useless. I mean, it's, it's busted. His fingers are at funny angles and everything. I mean, it's just a mess. Yet, later on in that issue, right near the end... In the first two panels on the page, the the page isn't numbered, but it's the first two panels on the page where Rick busts Tyrese and Michonne when they're making out. Uh huh. Rick is actually making a fist with his right oh. hand and rubbing his eyes. So I thought that was funny. I don't know that it's really a flub, but it you know it happens pretty pretty soon after the fact where he couldn't move it at all. So I thought that was interesting. Interesting, if not an outright gaffe. So I thought and- that was cool. <clears throat> I think it was very interesting that that Michonne's character is she's sort of being set up as maybe the new source of trouble in yeah. paradise here because she's already come in she's she's fooling around with the men and and causing trouble and she's got this you know she I mean she totally when he's like look I have a good thing going with her she's like why are you going to mess around with that white skinny white girl you know <laughs> and uh and then she's caught talking, having a whole conversation with herself that she, that that you're not even sure she's aware she was having, right? You know? So, yeah. Well, plus yeah. for no no seeming reason whatsoever, when Andrea leaves after that little confrontation, she calls her a fucking bitch, and it's like, yeah, because that's why is that you really think called maybe, for? You know? Well, it is if maybe she didn't wasn't aware that she was talking to herself. <laughs> yeah. Now, then something it would appear that, that she would be a kind of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. There's something I, I, I did not put in my synopsis, but I wanted to talk about real quick was um, the speculation of what might be going on with Lori. Because there was a lot of talk through this whole arc. A, a lot of emphasis is put on the fact of Lori is not only having a lot of difficulty with this pregnancy but that the difficulties are increasing it started out as just like really heavy morning sickness and it's gotten to a point where it's all day yeah she can barely sleep she can barely eat she can't keep anything down type of thing and 
this led to a lot of speculation of what's going on with her baby. You know, right. is, it, is it going to be stillborn or is it going to be, you know, like, is it going to be a remake of the Dawn of the Dawn Dead? Of the yeah. Dead Zombie baby. Situation. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, 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 I remember thinking it was not going to be that just because Dawn of the Dead had done that. Mm-hmm. And Kirkman might try to avoid, you know, he doesn't, he, I, you know, he likes to throw out lots of stuff to keep you going in different directions, but I just didn't. I couldn't see him going in that direction because Dawn of the Dead had. Right. So so you sort of knew what... But if he did, it would be handled in a different way, I'm sure. But at, at, at this, you know, at this point, it's been firmly established that anything can happen. Right. He's going to go anywhere. He doesn't... And does. He's not going to... He's not going to stop just because he thinks it might be too much for the audience or his characters to handle because that's it, it, he's established that's what life is doling out in, in this universe and he's stuck with it yep and what life is doling out ain't pretty yep i don't want to i don't want to spoil where that goes but yeah you're absolutely or should right I say death is doling out living dead is doling whatever it's getting doled out in spades <laughs> but uh yeah i uh i can't say it enough i loved where this went i loved the direction this went i love the uh the visible darkening of rick you know seeing that that downward spiral to this point to this res- you know to this ending yeah with number 24 it really hit home if, because if you take that picture of of Rick that I, I don't know if it was on one of the collections or trades that was the basically the family portrait of Rick in his in his trooper outfit you know looking all clean cut and and all American if you took that and put that next to the cover of him in the rubber room mm-hmm. that pretty much illustrates <laughs> from point A to point B right and that was the thing. I remember in one of the very earliest issues of this series, Kirkman said that after a point, Rick is not going to be recognizable as the same Rick that we started From this the series beginning. with. Yeah. And, I, and, and that was really, really early on that he said that. And I remember thinking, I, I, I couldn't picture it. I really couldn't because he was such a nice guy. You know, he was the stereotypical nice hometown cop you know small town cop he was just you know he was just a nice guy and you couldn't see him being really like you know like this and wow you know to to suddenly realize at the end of this issue that wow we got there he he did exactly what he said he was going to do he was going to take this character and twist him to a point where you you didn't really even you you couldn't even see a glimmer of the original person he was in issue one. And he's and we're just in right. the 20s now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of more. There's a lot more story to happen to Rick. And yep. In the future. I'm and looking we'll forward be there. To, yep. I am really yeah. looking forward to getting that. And uh, that's about all, all I got from my notes. Likewise. And so and- I just wanted to say, you know, in the future, in the next few for a while we're going to be doing multiple episodes of The Walking Dead like this issues yep. by either story arc or 
or whatever. We're going to figure out ways without without spreading it too thin so we can get to a point where we're caught up. Yes. But at this point, we are at a point where we're caught up with our swamp thing. Mm-hmm. And we are two Alan Moores, so we're going to start going one by one with that. And as you noticed, we have that new, um, new little uh, segment with uh, Johnny uh, Bueno. And uh, next month, well, I think last last month we we sort of hinted that we had something new planned, and I'll let you uh, I'll let you let the cat out of the bag. Yes, we are so excited to have hit upon. You know, you remember a while back we 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 talked very frankly about the fact that uh, we felt like we needed. We were going to retool this. Yeah, this we needed a retooling show a little bit. Yeah, we wanted to give it a little bit of shot in the arm. We, we realized that, strangely, even though horror is not my genre whatsoever with comics, that, strangely, Comics Monthly Monday had become pretty much the Swamp Thing and Walking Dead show, which is kind of just weird. I mean, I love both series, but it's not exactly in my wheelhouse. And we have kind of struggled with what did we want to do, and we bandied about a lot of different ideas, and we, we tossed around some things, but nothing really seemed to click to be something that Chris and I really both wanted to to tackle Got worked and up commit over, to. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Until we had a suggestion by uh, I want to give credit where credits due, and I believe it was Chris Johnson that threw out an idea um, somewhere. I can't remember if it was Facebook or the forum or, or on Skype chat or something, but kind of just tossed out casually the idea of. Uh, He'd like to hear our take on Burns' Fantastic Four. And I loved that idea. I thought that was a really great idea. And it got me to thinking that, you know, that guy, you know, John Byrne, was a big part of our childhood, Chris and I, you know, when we were coming up with comics and discovering his work and following him to different projects and so many of the the early burn works leading right up through Man of Steel and even after Man of Steel for a little bit, there's a body of work there that between the two of us, we really love and really appreciate and, uh, and really followed and enjoyed. And that we'd kind of like to go back and take a look at some of which I don't know has really been all that examined from an from an angle of not necessarily the book that it is but from the angle of the burn contribution to whatever the material is and so what we kind of decided we were going to do in, in an effort to inject a little bit more classic superhero-y type stuff into the show and not just be about the horror genre that we were going to go back to the very beginning of Burns' run on Uncanny X-Men. And we're going to start there, and we're going to examine, issue by issue, Burns' run on Uncanny X-Men, and then just kind of see how it goes from there. We're going to work our way through X-Men, and if you guys like it, if it seems to be a popular uh, part of the show and everything, and we get enough positive response to it, we'll keep going. We'll go on to other Burn projects, like Fantastic Four, and I, Alpha I'd like to go right in chronological order and yeah. just do, you know, just go through that time period, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the, the one I'd really like to tackle uh, is uh, 
I, I wonder if the if the listeners would be interested in our personal take and opinions on uh, what I feel was was ultimately Burns' uh, masterpiece was Man of Steel, and I would love to do you know that 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 mini you know and, and that origin of uh, of his version of Superman and all that. So there's a lot of material in there. Yeah, a but lot of first... great material to cover. The first comic we're going to do is what? It's an X-Men comic, right? Uncanny X-Men, number 108 by John Byrne, amongst other people. We've got a Saga of the Swamp Thing, number 20, start of the uh, awesome Alan Moore material. And then we'll, uh, we'll have several issues of The Walking Dead. That's yet to be determined exactly what issues, but we'll start with number 25, and we'll just kind of see how many we want to cover. So that's the show for this time. Yep, and next month I'll sort of be settling into the new, not format as much, but just sort of uh, new routine. Yeah. I so hope you guys are... Fun. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very excited about this. Oh, we're going to have some John Byrne and some, and some Alan Moore next month, so... Hey. X-Men, yeah. Alan Moore, X-Men. I mean, what, what's more classic comics than Alan Moore and X-Men and John Byrne and... At least from that time period, anyway. There you go, yeah. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Twotruefreaks.libson.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libson, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. You can find me, Scott Gardner, both on Twitter and Facebook. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T. G-A-R-D-N-E-R Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcasts.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening. Join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks.
Future Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.